This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation, The Bicycle. The bicycle to me means freedom, adventure, and the wonderful days of childhood fun. I found a bike shop and its owner who believe in the same thing. Mike Franzi, the owner of both Fullerton and the Buena Park Bike Shop, and his new adventure, the Fullerton Electric Bikes, is my guest on the podcast. If you're in the area and you need a bike and you want great customer service, Mike and his crew are just the people to take care of your needs. It's a big issue that needs to be addressed. And I think this goes for a lot of businesses, whether you're a bike shop, it's all about how we perceive our customers. And when I have a customer call me from Seattle, Washington, because she called asking for a Talon or a Fabulous $1,600 bike, and we're like, yeah, you know, she needed three bikes and we had two out of three. But we gave her the time to educate her on what we have and why we don't have it, but what we can do and we get it and blah, blah, blah. She drove from Washington to see Jeff and Ricardo and my guys to get a bike. Washington, it's 1,100 miles for a $1,400 bike. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from Silver Star recipients, professional photographers, and longtime newspaper man, James McCormick. So I had three relatives tell me I could come live with them to go to college. One was in Bakersfield, a great aunt. One was a cousin of my mother in Boise, Idaho. And then the other one was my favorite aunt who lived in Compton. So I picked Compton. And this, this just tells you what a blessed life I've lived. I've talked about that a little bit. She gave up her bedroom to me for two years and slept on a couch so that I could go to Compton College. And my parents took in foster kids for $50 a month and sent her the 50 bucks to feed me. So, so I got through two years at Compton College and was interested only in, in journal, my, you know, most of my classes I was awful in, but I, journalism and photography, I, I just were an obsession with me. Go to justagoodconversation.com for all our archives. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor before diving into my conversation with Mike Franzi. I am so happy to be finally sitting down with you, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for asking. This is great. I, I've I've been coming to your shop for a very long time. All of my family members have gotten bikes to your place, and I am happy now that we're able to sit down and we're going to talk bikes, the passion that we both have. Thank you. Starting a business. Sure. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, it's been a lot in 20 years, Matt. <laughs> so uh, Let, Let's talk about where did you grow up? You're a local guy. So, yeah, so my story, you know, uh, born in Long Beach, you know, 1965, moved to Fullerton, which was called Sunny Hills at the time where we moved in 19, <laughs> ready? Yeah. 1971 or 72, I moved to Fullerton. Okay. You and remember I, that move I as do, a kid? I do, and I cried because I didn't want to leave Cypress. I was a kid. Right, I, you didn't I, know like, any better, right? You know, no, you're a kid. Like, I don't want to leave my friends. My uh, friends, yeah. It all worked out. God's good. But anyway... Moved to Fullerton uh, in 1971-72, and uh, I remember in about 76, the bicentennial year, we uh, we built a pool in our backyard, and that was a big step. Oh. Like We had a pool. You know, we had a house with a backyard, a family. I was, I'm an only child. My father was an entrepreneur in uh, retail grocery. My mom, traditional old-style family, stayed at home and raised me. Wow. So, yeah, so I grew up. So I've been in Fullerton my entire life, uh, not to get off track, as I got a little bit older. Um, Probably around my late, mid-twenties, um, I was still living at home and I'm an only child. My dad was retired. My mom, she was just a housewife or house mother or whatever you want to call it. She was just my mom. Right. Um, I had a pretty good job 
And well, tell me this: When did you get a bike? Okay, so let's go bike life. Uh, I feel I, actually I was on a podcast this morning. I was on a Zoom meeting this morning, and that question got asked, understanding the history of me and my connection and passion for bikes. Because it's so big. It's it's all my life has been. So. I had a friend, his name was Billy Jenkins, and he was older. And my mom and dad were friends with his family, so they came over for dinner one night, and me and Billy get to hang out. Like, here's Billy, here's Mike. How old are you? I'm 56 years old today. No, how old are you then? Oh, Billy. Then, oh my God, I was seven, eight? seven yeah, six so or seven. nine? Billy was a couple years older than me. So okay. I met, Billy was a cool kid. Right. And he a rode cool, bikes. A cool nine-year-old. Cool nine, well, yeah, cool <laughs> nine-year-old, he had curly hair, oh. and I looked up to him. So, <laughs> end of the day was, Billy was a, like, he liked bikes, so... I like bikes because Billy was cool and I wanted to be like Billy. So long story short, Billy was kind of like this little idol to me. So I wanted to get a, a bike. But we lived in a, our backyard wasn't grass because we bought a new home and there was just a dirt field and in our backyard and I made like wooden jumps and I have this bike. And then my next door neighbor, Franklin, he worked for McDonnell Douglas. Okay. And he was a fabricator. He made me these plexiglass round number plates and put number one on them. So I put this on my bike. So now my bike was like a, emulating a motorcycle. Well, what was the bike? Do you remember? A Schwinn 16-inch Stingray Blue. Where did you guys get it? You ready? It's a, it's a bike shop in Cyprus. I don't remember the name. They're out of business. I think it was called ABC Bikes on on. Carmenita and Catella, I so want to say. what do you and Dad just go down? You beg Dad, I want a bike. So if you look at the photo albums, Matt, there was a, I, my first bike was like this golden Huffy with training wheels, but it was a pile of junk, but it was still my first bike. But that's okay, we've well, all had that bike. That's where it started. Then I got off my training wheels and my parents bought me this 16-inch bike. So that was my bike, a blue Schwinn, and they were the Stingrays, and it was, you know, the banana seed, sure. the Stingray bars in the back. I was like, yeah, this is sick, dude. Yeah, anyway, best bike ever. Right. I loved it. And I remember You're my, I remember, Matt, I remember my dad taking it out of the car on my birthday, whatever I got it for. Like, it was such a huge moment. I still remember it. I have photos at my house in the photo album of that bike and me and my mom. And she had the freaking B-52 haircut back sure. then. My dad was a true Italian with the big lamb chops, <laughs> the lapel, you know, I just typical Godfather looking Italian dude, right? You know, pulling the sting, hairy, hairy chest, you know, the thick, anyway, God bless him. But I got the bike. And then when we moved to Fullerton, you know, I start riding and making this little dirt jump and I'm jumping 13 inches and I'm like evil Knievel. But I like Billy. So that kind of got me started with bikes. Now, wait, you said Evil Knievel. Was there any Evil Knievel influence, like when you were watching him on TV? That was a little bit later, okay. when I, maybe a couple years after that, because then you knew who he was. And sure, like, he was everybody's hero if you love. I mean, he did crazy stuff back then. Yeah. He was the king. Right. I mean, Elvis on a bicycle, a motorcycle. Right. You know, so I yeah. Mean, so I wanted to jump everything when I saw what he did. Yeah, you're like, oh, it's Caesar's Palace and the cars. So, right. The, bri- the, the yeah, buses in yeah, London, whatever. Yeah. Line them up. Yeah, so Billy had an influence on me, but I just took to bikes. And then I didn't do the stick and ball sports. I went and played baseball. And I remember my mom telling the story. They were embarrassed because I was chewing my mitt. <laughs> and it was at in La Habra, at the La Habra... Um, sports complex, whatever it was back then, playing baseball, Matt. And I'm like, like, my mom's like, if this guy hits a ball to my son in the outfield, he doesn't even know it's coming. Because I'm watching the guys ride by on their bikes. I could have given a crap about <laughs> baseball. Sorry, I know you were in the no, baseball industry. No, but, but I but I was, so anyway. So but you the, were already like daydreaming. I right, want to be there. I, I, just, I just loved it. So then, you know, my dad, 
you know, he was a golfer and he loved the Dodgers and he was an Italian. So, you know, this whole bike thing, you know, emulating a motorcycle was new to him. Right. He, didn't, he, he didn't wasn't. Get. And we used to go for family bike rides when I was even younger and we'd go to Thrifty's Ice Cream and I'd get a, it. So bikes were always a part of our life, but it was just different in the 70s lifestyles. You know, when I went home from work, we'd run over to Thrifty's and I'd get a, you know, a, 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 scoop. a, a scoop for a nickel, right? Right. I remember that it was a nickel and I loved grape and my dad would take me over there. So that was our adventure. But my dad didn't know about motorcycles or anything. So it gets even better. So the movie comes out on any Sunday, and I've talked about this in podcasts and videos many times, Matt. This comes out, and I'm like, I wanna go see this movie. My dad takes me. Now here's, I gotta be careful how I say this. It was to a movie theater in Buena Park. No lie, off of Beach Boulevard, right by Knott's Berry Farm. Okay. Later on, it becomes the Pussycat Theater. Yes. Okay, so we know if you've, yep. you've driven by it, you know. Right. But anyway, I saw the movie on any Sunday with my dad. And I've said this a million times, that opening scene, that dude's riding the wheelie on that Schwinn was like, I, I was mesmerized. I It changed my life, it really did. Like, was it like a bolt of lightning yes, just it was hitting just, you? I, I, I can pulling remember, Mike, right? I'm, I can remember sitting with my dad, like watching this happen in front of me, and the music, and Malcolm, it was just, it was a take back. I'll never, ever, ever forget it. I'll never live it down. It was freaking awesome. Isn't that amazing how powerful that was? Yeah. Like right there. If you look back, and I'm like, this is rad. Anyway, so we see the movie, and the next day I am like on my bike. I'm trying to make a jump in the backyard. I'm going to the dirt field. I am hooked. Billy's coming over. I am so excited. So that was my starting of my passion for bikes. Now, I used to get mad at my dad because when you're a kid, you know, your dad would like, oh, hey, Mike, this is my son, Mike. You meet your parents, friends, sure. or the neighbors. You're having a barbecue, new neighbors or house. And, yeah, you know, they're like, oh, so what does Mike do? And I'd be like, oh, he likes skateboard. And he likes, no, I like to ride bikes, Dad. <laughs> I'm like, why is he saying skateboarding about that? I don't want a skateboarder. I mean, I like skateboards, but, you know. But you wanted to be Mike the bike rider. I was a bike rider. Right. And then, like, for Christmas, you know, I get this Honda jersey, which it's funny because it was a 1974 jersey. And I think one of the Supercross races, Ken Roxon, who races for Honda, um, did a flashback, and he like had the jersey that I kind of, like, it's very similar, you know, but redesigned for today, but it was still like an imitation of like the Honda Marty Smith jersey, whatever right. it was. So I can remember that. So now that's how the bikes became bikes to me, and we emulated motorcycles. So moving forward, you know, we're having, like in my neighborhood, all the kids played outside, so listen up, folks. Yes. Kids didn't sit on Game Boys, we didn't have them. We went outside and rode our bikes and played tackle football in the streets and did all that stuff. So then I used to set up like competitions. I would take a magazine and cut a picture out and glue it to a piece of like poster board and get some pennies and tape them to them and we'd have all the neighborhood kids, myself, Danny Hedges, Scott Runniger, Jeff Shepard, I remember them all. Um, we'd all come out and we'd have like a judge and we'd who jumped the farthest and who did the best wheelie and, and we, then I'd give out prizes and we just had fun. Like like just, you know, like the movies we watch where these kids are running around with no cell phones, no pagers, but I was in front of the house and we're building wooden jumps, no helmets, short pants, no shirts. And then we'd put on our, our, our gear because I had a jersey and you know, like act like motorcycle riders. But it was truly like this, is bringing me back. Like I can just visualize this so gratefully. Um, it was awesome. So we did that and it was just cool. And then I would enjoy working on bikes. Now I didn't know my butt from my elbow when I came to tools, but I learned to work on my own bike. I took it apart, the coaster brake, the cranks, I did all that. Moving forward, my dad 
you know, not at the subject, but my dad gets this road bike. He wins it from some drawing when he worked. Really? Nice. I don't know what the brand was. Doesn't so, matter. So one day, I'm in the garage. I'm like, I'm going to kind of work on my dad's bike. I, whoa, whoa, whoa. What gives you the idea that his bike needs even any work on it? Well, I'm a cool kid. I want to, <laughs> I want to bring, I want to, I'm a mechanic. My bike's clean. I got nothing to do. You know, I couldn't go play. Play PlayStation. <laughs> I couldn't go on my cell phone. You know, I, I couldn't play Pong, you know, or whatever. Pong, I think it wasn't even out then. Right, yeah. But, you know, we did, we either read a magazine or watch TV or, you know, played with Hot Wheels. So I was bored. I'm like, I'm going to just kind of play with this. I ended up taking the rear derailleur apart, the front derailleur apart, and I screwed this thing up four ways to China. Oh, God. Oh, no. And I remember, my dad never beat me too often, but I got my <laughs> butt whooped for that one. I mean, was it, you took it apart easily, you just didn't know how the parts matched back I up? I basically undid the bolts, and everything came apart. <laughs> just tumbled in your lap. Springs and cables, who knows, you know. So I'm like, uh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so anyway, I got I got in trouble, learned a valuable lesson. But anyway. I, but you tinkered. I did, I did. You know, but today, you know, I mean, do they do that? The kids do that? I don't no, know. They don't. They don't. Sad. And, and, and I don't think it's worth a beating. I think it's like in, to encourage. Yeah. Okay, I mean, we can get it fixed. Yep. But see if you can. See if you can get it back together. Absolutely. But I couldn't. So we ended up taking the bike shop and bike cost five bucks, man. I got a fix. Anyway, right. but later he, on. He probably looked at it and kind of went, it's kind of easy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think I did a pretty good job. I remember. So, you know, so then, you know, that's a road bike, 10 speed. Back then we called them 10 speed with gears. You know, I had like a little single speed Schwinn Varsity or not Schwinn, Schwinn Stingray, excuse me. So I, you know, I would you know, go ride and come home at night and spray with Windex and wipe it down and take stuff apart. And it was, it was simple, but it was fun. I enjoyed doing that. It was like, okay, ride your bike, clean it. Then, you know, later on in life, we started getting, like I started getting more into BMX, like, okay. Is it to the point where if you close your eyes, you could see you and your friends oh, yeah, like, absolutely. on the street, hot summer day? Blue workbench in the garage, putting parts in a lunch pail with gasoline to clean the bearings. Right. And if it got hot, you just drink out of a hose. Didn't absolutely. matter. So, and it was the best summers ever. We'd ride bikes, barefoot, t-shirts, top. I'd be black as can be, suntan. Right. My feet would be, the bottom looked like tar. My hands were raw from calluses because we had hard grips, you know? Right. But it, I could, yes. But more, you loved it. The more we talked, the more it's like it was yesterday. Right. Not 36 years ago, 40 years ago. So riding bikes, you know, I'm getting a couple years older. So I'm like, man, me and Danny and Jeff Shepard, um, they're my buddies, best friends. You know, one day I fight with Danny, next day you fight with Jeff. Jeff and Danny <laughs> fight against, but we, we were friends. Right. And to this day, Danny Hedges is my longest friend. God bless him. I love him to death. He's a successful guy. We're best friends and I love him. We had some great memories and same with Jeff Shepard. So Danny and I and Jeff says, hey, let's start a bike shop. And How old are you at this point? Dude, I'm probably 10 to 12. 10 to 12 and somebody has the idea in my, because I was a, I'm an organized person, I'm a clean person, and I love, I just love the tools as well. I still okay. do to this day. Are you, are you, are you getting become more familiar with tools? What's, sure. And what, what tool is what? And back then, I, I needed four tools. You needed like a 916th half right. inch, a screwdriver, a hammer, and I guess that was about all I needed, or you could fix anything. So, we clean out the garage, we organize it, and then every day, we're in there trying to fix bikes. But we don't have bikes to fix it for own, right? I have a sign on Commonwealth or on, on, on Manzanita Drive and, you know, Camino del Sol, but there's a you know, bike shop. And every morning we'd run down and stick it in the ground. We made it with poster board. So then Jeff, or I don't remember who it was. I won't mess that up. But we ended up making flyers. 
and then somebody's dad took them to work and photocopied them on the Xerox machine, right? Giant Xerox machine. So we have 50 of them. Whoa. So what we do is I made them, and I had my parents' home phone number, Matt. (laughs) So we can start going door to door to door, and we're leaving these flyers. Mike's fixes bikes. Call us up. We wait like, I don't even know. I wish I had one, but anyway. We're knocking and dropping these off on all the neighborhood houses in our neighborhood. We had a hundred of them. Oh my goodness. Now, I'm not a bike mechanic. I could clean a bike and fix a flat tire and I don't have any inventory, right, I have nothing. Yeah. So we get a few people call my house. So for a dollar, we're gonna clean your bike. So my mom answers the phone because I give her my home phone number. I don't have a cell phone. Now, are your parents in on this and they understand what's going on? A little bit. Okay. So, you know, they just think we're hanging out. I, and I got the garage is super clean. We sweep it every day. And it's like a little workshop. And I can remember we put on, I took masking tape on the floor, Matt, and I put like clean bike, dirty bike. So the clean bikes went here, the dirty bikes went there. I should do that here at the shop today. Anyway. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, so all of a sudden the phone rings and like my mom's like, can I help you? It's like, I'm looking for the bike mechanic. My mom's like, and the lady was real nice. And she's like, somebody dropped the flight. I was like, oh, Mike. And then so I get the phone. I'll never forget this. Nice lady. She's like, we got four bikes that need fixing. Yeah, four bikes. I'm like, what am I gonna? So we have a way of getting them. So we just walk to their house and these bikes were kind of messed up. So I'm like, we'll fix them. Get them to my house. And we're like, all right, what do we do here? <laughs> They had gear. I didn't. I was, you know, I didn't know any of this stuff. So right, the only gear you played with was your father, right. and that bike fell apart. Thank you. And I'm, you know, I'm not about to get somebody else's bike. So <laughs> we ended up kind of cleaning the bikes and made them the best we could. Put some air in the tires, oiled the chain. Maybe one or two of them had a flat tire. So my mom drove us to the bike shop, and it was actually here Fullerton Bikes, and it was our, it was Fullerton Bikes. It was back then. Ended got a up patch kit. Patch kit. Patch a couple tires. Got them done. Took them to the lady's house. It was like five dollars or whatever we charged her. The lady was very nice, and I know where she lives. She doesn't live anymore, but I know where the house is. I can I could take you there if we had to. She gave us a gift card. She owned the restaurant El Chorito, no El Ranchito, on Beach and yes, across from Walmart. Yeah, Beach and that they own that restaurant. Right. So we love it that place. It was like a ten dollar gift card, you know. So that's gonna feed. So me and my buddies are like, yeah. So we plan a lunch a day. Gift card. Think about that. You probably never even had a gift card before. I know what it was. It was a little like an envelope, and it had right. like a like a little like paper thing. Right. Yeah. So it now was before the card. Yeah. Actual, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. This was really fancy. I was stoked. So what did your parents think? Like, I think they were kind of proud. They were kind of proud and excited about it, Matt. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a, I was a good kid. At least yeah. I think I was. So what was cool was then me, Jeff, and Danny. We were really pumped on this. So I can remember, like, we planned a day to go there. So we had somebody's mom drive us and drop us off. We all kind of put on nicer clothes. And we went in and ordered Cokes and Enchiritos or whatever. And we sat around and we gave the gift card. And it was like $8. And we said, you know, like, you can keep the rest as a tip. And then my mom picked this up. You know, like, what an experience. And then obviously that just faded away because we had to go back to school and summer was over and so on and so on. What a great experience, though, for young boys to actually do that. It was pretty awesome. So, moving on down the road, um, I'll never forget this. I went, as we talked, I went to St. Mary's School here in Fullerton. Right. Um, we had a trip to the library. So, we got to walk across. That was probably fourth or fifth grade, you know, just a couple. My, my time here is a little off, but it, you get this, this sense. I was a young child. And we go over to the 
Fullerton Library. Okay. And we have like 30 minutes of free time to pick up books or magazines. So I pick up this magazine and it was called Sports Illustrated Kids. And on the cover was some dude on a BMX bike. And I see this and I'm like, oh boy, I, ah, I grab it. And I- Another bolt of lightning? Big time. I mean, I can remember the magazine cover. The guy had a red FMF bike on the cover. And I know that picture has recirculated on some of these vintage sites before that magazine. So I pick it up and I go through it and I'm like, there's a whole thing on BMX racing. And it just happens to be, they talk about a local track called La Mata Regional and Western Sportsorama. Yes! I'm like, so I, I couldn't like take the magazine home. But like I get home, I'm like, mom, mom, mom. Tomorrow we have to go to the library, and I have to make photocopies. I gotta. So I. So what? You guess what I did? I hid the magazine, like behind books or in an encyclopedia. So I knew where it would be the next day. Been there, done that, yeah. Because I was afraid it was gonna be gone. Sure. And I don't know where to buy it. You know, it's an older issue. So my mom takes me there. We get the pennies, and we can make the copies, and I got all this stuff. I take that home, and I'm just like four pages. Oh my god. Oh my god. It was just, anyway. So. My dad's like, okay, I'll take you to Longmont Regional Park. We find out where it is. So we're, and it's like, we don't know when they're racing. We don't know anything because there's no website. There's no phone number. You just- It's just it's a, a park. park. But they went there and they were actually holding BMX races on this track. And they had just finished up. And I am like, met, like this, I just saw Jesus. There, I mean, this is whole, like, if I died right now today, I would have gone to heaven. I, it, was, it, was, right. it was- You were at the gates. Exactly. So- we kind of check it out. My dad asked a few guys some questions. What's going on? When can we race? And this is the honest to God truth. There was this, like, so like, I like bikes. There was a gentleman there and he came in my store today, as a matter of fact. And he had this bike and it was like my dream bike. It was a Schwinn. I remember the bike like it was yesterday. Bob Brady pedals, blue alloy wheels, tan tires. I remembered everything. So I walk up to this guy. And I don't know him. And I'm like, and he just got done racing. I'm like, dude, whatever. Sir, excuse me, sir. And he was, his name is Steve Bemke. Steve was a few years older than me. I think he might have been at the time I was like 13, maybe 12, 13. He was probably 15, 16. I'm like, can I do, like ride your bike and try it? Like, you know, I, my bike was nice, but it wasn't like his. Right. And he's like, sure. So he lets me ride his bike. I'll never forget this. And I remember his name, Steve Bemke. That's all I do. So anyway, I've drawn pictures of his bikes in class, and I was in school, and I'm always drawing bikes, having fun. It's my life, Matt. So. I draw these pictures and life goes on. When you get on his bike, though, what do you think? Oh my gosh, I just rode him. It's a Porsche, 911 Carrera. Right. Oh my gosh. Compared to your Stingray, yeah. all of a sudden and you I, just, and you just point, got on an Italian sports yeah. car. And I had had a better bike now. You know, I had like a Rampart 20 inch and I made some different parts and bought stuff. But anyway, but now, I mean, now I'm like, I know what a real bike is. So that, that was my goal to build a bike like his. Now, what'd you think of the track at the time? It was just mesmerizing. I look at it today, I'd laugh, but back then I didn't know any better. I was a 13 year old kid, I didn't You're care. You're this high, yeah. you weigh eight pounds. It's yep. the greatest thing ever. It was awesome. So anyway, so we find out when the next races are, and I'm like, I'm gonna go race. My mom and dad, I'm an only child, are like, oh, you know, be careful, you're gonna hurt yourself. I don't know if this is a good idea. No, I wanna race. I don't wanna play football, I don't wanna play baseball, I don't wanna play soccer, I wanna race BMX. I wanna go. Take me, dang it. <laughs> so they take me, it costs a dollar a race. And I race, like, I think I was about 12 years old. And I race the 12 beginner class and I get dead last. Every, we race three motos and I get dead last. I get, you know, my parents are probably happy. They're probably listening to me now. True. <laughs> <laughs> I 
end of the day, I didn't care. It was just cool. So we kind no, of start. You, you no, and you're in the club at that yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. So the next the race, hill, the gate, the yep. whole thing. So another month goes by. There's gonna be another race, and I convinced my dad to take me. A lot of times my dad played golf on Saturdays when they were racing, so my mom would take me, but I go again. So now I got a few of my buddies into it, Jeff, and we're all kind of starting to go like once a month. So my mom takes us one month, Jeff's mom takes us the next. Okay, now it's only, what, five miles away from your house, maybe oh, four? My mom would let me ride there for right. all the tea in China. But isn't it crazy that it just four or five miles away yes. was, was basically your version of Disneyland? Pretty much. You, right you, there. You, you nailed it. It's all I live for. So... We start, I start racing a little bit more. I've making some, earning my allowance, buying some better bike parts, making my bike a little bit better, having fun with it. You know, go to the bike. My mom would take me after school to pedal power or to left, left wing well bicycle, left tail bicycle, and then Buena Park bicycles and Fullerton bicycles. And I'd like memorize these bicycle parts. Like, oh my gosh. Staring at this yeah, and that. Yeah. <laughs> so I raced BMX for a while. And I'll never forget like my you only got a trophy back then if you won your class, uh-huh. but you had to make the main. I won. It was it's crazy. So anyway, so then I, I got you get confidence just like any other sport. You know, you catch that touchdown and you're you know you all of a sudden you can catch any ball they throw to you. It doesn't matter where it's at, you're gonna catch it. So I start racing more and getting a little bit better as time goes on, but I'm not racing that much. So we get into high like I get into like junior high. We'll kind of you know. And I'm still riding BMX. I'm racing, you know, a little bit more. Mom takes me on a Sunday. Jeff's mom takes me on a Tuesday or whatever we're doing. We're racing. So there's this track, and I'm about 15. I'm a freshman in high school. And I'm racing a little bit more. I moved up. I went from the beginner class to the intermediate class, and it took a couple years, but it was frequency and I'm I've been to BMX now. I've got a I built a new power light bike and I got cool pants and a full face helmet and I'm <laughs> I'm freaking Ricky Carmichael, Jeremy McGrath racing BMX. It's all now, good. Is there any magazines you're looking at at this oh, yeah, point? Yeah. You're so like we'll dive yeah, dive yeah. into all so that. So BMX Action is a magazine which or actually back then it was called Bicycle Motocross Action. When did you discover like, oh there's an avenue for that? Probably about six months after I say that Sports Illustrated okay. thing. So that you know that I'm memorized by those magazines. They'd, I bought a subscription. We'd get six a year, so every two months, and I'd check the mailbox every day when I got that magazine. I checked out for hours and just read the magazine for hours and hours and hours, and I wore pages out. I mean, it was so different, but it was awesome. Oh, so those now, magical times, Mike, magical. It, it, beyond. Um, so I'm starting to race a little more, and then I go to this park, Grissom Park in Fullerton, you know it well. Uh-huh. And I'm like pretending I'm racing BMX. I got a little turn and a couple little dirt jumps that I built or whatever. So I'm like, I'm gonna go to the bottom of Grissom Park and I'm gonna cross Rosecrans Avenue and just see if there's any other jumps around, you know, cause kids are always building jumps. So I go behind Parks Junior High School with the tennis courts and there's these kids building some jumps. And I'm like, whoa, they got a little bit of a turn and I just kind of show up. I'm like, hey, and they kind of look at me. I go, they could tell I'm a BMXer as well. and. I just kind of introduced myself. I'm like, hey, my name's Mike. You guys making some jumps? Can I help? You know, I don't have to be home till like five o'clock, 14, 15 years old. I'm like, yeah, help us out, you know? So I get a shovel and we start helping build this track. So then I get home and I am just excited as hell. I don't even probably do homework. I could care less. I just can't wait to go there tomorrow. Next day I wake up and go to school, St. Mary's. I'm not in high school yet, eighth grade. And I get home. All right, mom, we'll see you at five o'clock. I'm going to go play. Cop my bike and I'm at parks and we're building more stuff and we're building more stuff. Anyway, 
me and my buddy Ted Posh, we're still good friends. I meet Ted through BMX, and we start building what we call Parks BMX. Now, if you Google Parks BMX, it'll should pop open. I got tons of videos on my website. There's all sorts of stuff that I've done and created, but the point is, Parks became something pretty big. And, you know, I ended up building a complete BMX track. We held races and charged money. Parks was world famous because when the magazines wanted a test spot, they came to Parks. Really? Yes. BMX Action, BMX Plus, John Kerr, Dean Bradley, all the Bob Osborne, Wendy Osborne, I remember them well. They all became, Parks was a local spot so they could shoot the new bike and do the test. Now, obviously, this is a different time. Yes. The man with the insurance didn't show up. Nope. Or nobody was banging. Nope. But there's no way they would allow you to even have a shovel on campus today. Nope. 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 But nope. back then. They just tore all the dirt jumps out of Fullerton. Right. You know, I but, mean, I, back then. So here's. So yeah, we weren't on. So back the, then, so, it was totally cool. Right. So here's the deal. That was what they call city property. It wasn't part of the school. So we were cool. But we don't know. I'm a kid, right? So there's a kids are all helping out. It's you can just vision this. It's after school. There's seven kids, ten kids, twelve kids. We're riding bikes. We're building jumps. We're having a good time. We're kids, right? So one of the kids' dad at the time, Mr. Fox, was a Fullerton city planner or city manager. He was high up. His kid was riding. What does he do? He kind of signs off on it. God bless you, kids. Have a good time. This is cool. No problems. No lie. No BS. We had a blessing from the city of Fullerton. Holy moly. No lie. That's the gold stamp right there. You know, so we got the hall pass. So now we're holding races. I'm 15, 16 now. Things are, we're getting 30 kids there. These videos are on my website and I'm holding BMX races. No insurance, nothing. They're just signing a little waiver. Sure. Right at your own risk and I'll take 50 cents and you can race. And I'm giving my recycled trophies to the kids that I had won racing BMX. Okay? Now, with that, with that signing that slip, was that something you got from riding in La Mirada when you rode there? I they don't did? even remember, <laughs> to I mean, be honest. It's, it's smart. I just think we had a clip, because one of the parents probably helped us. Ted's okay. dad, uh, Eugene, Mr. Posh, he probably wrote it up, made photocopies, he worked for Hughes. So, <laughs> we're, we're trying to, we don't, we don't know. We're selling, we bring a nice chest, we sell Cokes for a quarter. We're having a good time. Damn. So, what a life back then. It was then. pretty awesome. So Parks becomes pretty big. So I get to know the magazines because they're coming there. And I'm a decent racer. I'm never going to make a living racing BMX or go to the Olympics, which it just became you know, a couple years ago. But I'm decent. So one day, BMX Plus Magazine's there. And this guy named Dean Bradley, who was an editor and a photographer, sees me. And he comes up to me. He's like, hey, dude, you own this place. You are amazing here. How would you like to be a BMX Plus test rider? Like, excuse me? Me? Be in the magazines? Yeah, we could use you. Sure. It's like, all right, give me your phone number and we'll call you. Like, okay, we'll write down on a piece of paper, you know. So a couple of weeks go by, my mom gets a phone call. Hey, Mike, some guy by the name of Dean calls I'm about doing them and that. Oh, my God. You know, so <laughs> can you imagine? You know, I like this is, you know, magazine. So I call him back. He's like, we'll meet you there on a Tuesday at 2 o'clock and we're going to do a photo shoot. You're going to test this red line. I'm like, holy balls. This, this is, this is, this is beyond belief so I'm so pumped so I get there they give me the BMX out BMX plus leathers and jerseys I'm freaking just yeah you know so they had me how jump. did you even focus that week it was tough because that's all I thought about dude right I lived it so do a couple you know, I did multiple tests for BMX plus and I'm pretty pumped like they like me and I've gotten cover shots and all these things so um the, one of my biggest, there's a picture of me doing what they call back then, it was a click down or a leery. 
And the way I did it, the bike was too small to work, but it was a pretty good jump back then. Like doing like a double backflip today, I guess. But that's 40 right. years ago. Sure. But this bike was too short. So we take the bike upside down. We have to bend the seat post so the handlebars don't hit the seat. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> and yep. we made yep. it work. Yep. Yep. So I could do this jump. Anyway, it was, I remember doing it. So anyway, we, we do that. So... Parks is getting bigger. We end up taking money. My best friend at the time, one of my friends, Shane Gerritsen, great kid. His dad owned a tractor company. So Shane's like, if you pay for my dad's gas, he'll build you a new track. I'm like, all right. So we had money saved from Holden Races. I'm 16, 17 now. And we rebuild Parks. His tractor shows up on a Saturday and he spends all day on city ground building a BMX track. And we're working with hoses and shovels and rakes, and we're building a BMX track for Head Park Junior High School now, with a freaking backloader, dude. Oh my god, it's unbelievable just to think that you. Okay, let's start with the fact: where was your vision and the architecture on like where you wanted or what you wanted this course to look like? You know, I spent hours drawing it on paper. <laughs> right, we you got drew your, it. You got your bump for the gate. Yep, we had a wooden gate that I built. We had a jump and a burn, and we kind of used the natural terrain to make it even better. Whoop de doos, whatever Whoop, you do, yep, big the whole finish. Thing. Yep, uh, jumps and doubles. And then, as you know, after Mr. Gerritsen was done, our work was still cut out for us to do, and I ended up getting that place dialed. And it was it was really a big spot. So all of a sudden, now in back then, BMX Plus was a smaller publication, but Bicycle Motocross Action was the pinnacle. I mean, that was time life. So they're doing a shoot down there, Gork and Wendy, and Gork comes up to me and he's like, hey Mike, um, we're doing this thing called Local Thrashing, and we wanna feature parks and BMX action. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> this, is, this is the greatest. Articles written, they come out and we do a photo shoot. So I wanted to make sure I stood out. I don't know what made me do this. So I had a pair of bright red Levi's 501 jeans. <laughs> Red. I mean, we're talking red. Look like a pimp. What the hell? That's a guy. I wore a black and white flannel. Oh, I came inches from getting on the cover of BMX Action. Oh, what? I did this photo shoot and this jump. The way it turned out, it's to this day people still freak out when they see it. I, 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 I risked everything to get the best I could get. It was cool, and I remember that. So. The article comes out, and I mean, it blows up. Like, I go to the track, they're like, Francie, you're it. Like, it was everybody, it was a, I still was a decent racer, but it was just, it enabled me to hang out with, like, the elites because of the of what I did at parks. Now, how are they getting there? So Everybody's driving by now, that yeah, time? Yeah, so I'm in my, I have a truck now, I'm 16, 17, and then the pros, you know, like a lot of the pros, you know, they were all... 16 and over, they all had cars. So, like, anybody who was local, like Tinker Juarez, he was in Norwalk, and Stu Thompson, and Toby Henderson, and Greg Hill, they would all drive there, because they were all, you know, Lakewood, and Cerritos, and Huntington Beach, they all live there. So, like, seven days a week, this place is just Every jumping. Day. Then, what was cool, whenever the ABA or the sanctioning body would hold a race mat, they would have, like, like, like a race in, like, Southern California, a big national, where the pros made money. They'd all come in a few days before, get ready, get their hotel. We had a lot of big companies in Orange County, and they would come to parks. So I got to know all of the pros, like Stu Thompson, Greg Hill, all the, the biggest. I'm hanging out with Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like, and more buddies. Like, hey, Mike, what's up, dude? I, mean, I couldn't beat these guys, but they were riding my track, and right. I'd do gates with them. And it, just, it was, I don't care. I mean, all, just everybody who was Eric Group, you name them. They were there. Parks was the pinnacle. Did it sink in at that point for you? Like, what was happening? 
No. You look back now as an adult, you go, whoa. Yeah, I was but at a, then I, a 16, 17-year-old Mike right. is going, oh, yeah, I get this. This I is have, big. I have 300 bucks in a bank account that I set up with Jim Mansfield and Ted Posh from race entry fees that we made. Then we and would reinvest it to buy new shovels and hoses and whatever we needed. That was, you know, yeah. going down here to, you know, Union Bank, I think it was. So I didn't realize it. So what was cool was in the BMX, and it's kind of like ironic. And now I'm 17. My dad's on my rear end, like, you know, stop riding your bike. You need to go to college. And, you know, you got to work all this and read books. And my dad was greatest man ever live the face of the earth. God rest his soul. But he was an old schooler. Sure. Pop out of school at 14 to work for the family business. My dad see me riding bikes, you know, doing gate starts. And I'm, you know, looking at BMX Action Magazines every night where, you know, it was a different lifestyle for him. Right. He's as we all grew up. Right. right. He's wondering what's wrong with my boy. Yeah. <laughs> I could care less about school. I'm getting by, whatever. But I'm, I'm bike, bike, bike. I want to turn pro. So I'm getting faster. I'm getting more aggressive. And I'm kind of moving up in the ranks. I'm a pretty fast local or orange wide I could win a lot of races in the 16 and over expert class I'm bang with some of the national boys you know went to a few big nationals and I made some mains I wasn't winning but it was coming so Parks is going off I'm loving everything's good BMX action broke I'm going to go to orange Y or actually I'm training and we built this new jump and I just had a really bad fall and I broke my hand super bad so I was off my bike for about three months and Obviously, no fear. I want to get back stronger than ever. And I came back, and it, after a get back on the bike three months, surgery's over, the pins are out. You know, I'm 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 on my game. I'm going to be top five in the district, and things are looking good. So I'm like, I'm going to turn pro next year. So I go to parks on a Sunday morning, do some gates, kind of warm up. And I'm going to go to the race uh, Orange Y that night. It was like a Sunday triple point race. Everybody was going to be there. So I'm going to, you know, get a little warm up, come on, clean my bike. I'm riding up Grissom Park to my house and I fall over and I break my thumb. Just a stupid fall. My dad's like, I go home. My mom was at my grandma's house or something and my dad takes me to emergency and I just, my dad was just disgusted and pissed. So now I'm like trying to evaluate this. I'm like, I spent all this time. I want to, you know, I trained, I was ready. Now I'm hurt again. And those three months off the bike or whatever, Matt. So it's all good. And then I go by parks one day and I see a bunch of suits or, you know, guys in Dickie. Right. And I'm like, hey, what's up, guys? And one of the guys was with the city of Fullerton. He's like, all right, well, we need to talk to you. You're Mike, right? Like, yeah, Mr. Fox told us to come down here and find you. Um, we're going to have to tear this down um, because, long story short, it was inherited to be this green belt. And it was all uneven dirt, and the city had the funding, and it was going to be fitted. But we're going to leave you a section to build a BMX track. I was like, okay. So they literally like came in with bulldozers and tore it down. Ooh. So now I'm 17. Most of my friends are surfing. They're in college. I'm working at Albertsons trying to figure it out. Now, Not- is there college in your plans? Are you thinking college or... That I mean, not- yeah, I wanted to be an architect. So college was in the picture, Matt, but I, I still, that wasn't like, I just, school wasn't for me and it just wasn't, but I was, I, because I thought I had to go and that's what we were taught and you want to be successful and you want to, you know, be an architect, you got to go to school. So, but, but was your heartstrings still attached to the BMX in oh, a way? Yeah, so yeah. it was deflecting your attention. Yeah, it was, it was, it was still, you know, my, my pulse was the bike. So 
They tear down parks, and then I'm like, dude, I, I, I'm not gonna do this myself. My best friend Ted was off surfing and into cars, and Jim Mansfield, all these guys, we're all doing different things. I was still the BMX guy. Had a few friends that I met at the track that we were hanging out and riding and stuff, but I was like, I, I'm not gonna do this myself. So I kind of just wrote it off. And I raced BMX then, came back and raced probably about a year. And then it's just like, I was kind of the lone wolf. All my friends were done. And I was still had friends at the track, but just my heart wasn't there. It just, it gutted me. So no big deal, right? I mean, that's part of life. Do you think life. it was the hand injury that started to make and then the track being just It was really losing parks, BMX. I can remember that. Like if it was still there, like I'd probably still be there right now, I guess. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was just, I built it, blood, sweat, and tears. I must have, I mean, I dug holes big as swimming pools and just, it was everything I did. Wow. I just, it, I, I mean, my, I can just, my, I broke shovels. I wore shovels out. I wore wheelbarrows out. We were there countless hours digging and shoveling and riding. And anyway, you must have moved so much ton of dirt. I mean, just tons. I mean, it was a lot because it was a, it was a track. So now, what? Because that's a neighborhood right over there. Yeah. Did anybody like say, "Hey, kids, what the hell"? No, Matt. It was like, "Hey, this is." I mean, parents would come over and watch us. They knew me by name. Who are the neighbors? Oh, there's Mike the show. Yeah, Mike Anderson. <laughs> I remember him like you know, and Mr. Fox and God, what was the Dane Henderson? I remember all these guys. They were there. Eden Backtail's dad was a pastor. He'd he'd run around the track and he'd watch us for hours. And just sit up, you know. We just and we were good kids. Yeah, we. Call each other's names. We weren't doing any dope or beer, right, you know. Yeah. Heck, that was that. You know, I wanted to race BMX, and if I partied, that wasn't going to be fast. I couldn't perform, you know. It was crazy. So, it gets better, right? So now I'm kind of done with BMX. I still love bikes. I have bikes. I'm living at home. I'm now working at Albertsons, and I got a pickup truck. So you know, I'm going to some races and driving around and stuff. But you know, it just it wasn't the same, and I was still kind of competitive. So I end up working at Albertsons and the store manager at the time, one of my still good friends, I'm his daughter's godfather, Sam Stroud, he liked me. I don't know why, but he liked me and I worked hard for <laughs> Sam. Um, so Sam's like one day like, hey dude, do you wanna go jet skiing? It's like, what's a jet ski? <laughs> like, yeah, I think so. So he takes me out to Lake Elsinore and I jet ski. And I loved it. I'm like, this is like BMX, kind of like I'm on the turn of bars and hit the wave or whatever. So I save some money and I buy a jet ski because now I'm like You're 20 so, years old. You so know? impulsive, like, like just immediately. I want it. I wanted, I wanted, because I wanted that, I love that passion for the bicycle, what it did. So I needed that. So I buy a jet ski. So then we start going to this place and we're jet skiing and there's these guys that are racers and I was decent. And they're like, hey, dude, you should come out and race. You're a pretty good rider. I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, I'm all ego, you know. <laughs> so there was like this race at Long Beach Green Stadium. So I'm like, let's go race a jet ski. So I go there. And, you know, on your market set go. And we all 15 guys line up. And I think you got a pretty good start. By about lap two, I can't even breathe. I am so out of shape. It's disgusting. My arms are going to blow up. My heart, because it's hard. Jet ski racing is physically demanding. Like yeah. soccer and motocross. I'm like, dude. What's wrong? So I, <laughs> like, help, you know, I'm gonna drown. So I get dead loud, I don't remember. But all the professional jet skiers that I start emulating, like, you know, like I'm like Victor Sheldon and Jeff Jacobs. I'm like, these guys are, you know, they all ride mountain bikes. I'm like, for fitness, right? 
So mountain biking is kind of becoming the thing. Yeah, now what year is this? So this is going to be... It's got to be late 80s, right? Late 80s, early 90s. Let's say 88, 92-ish. Give you a, a time frame. Yeah, because so, that's when I got my first one. Yeah, so... During BMX, you make a lot of friends. A lot of guys in BMX went on to work in the bike industry. So I call up my friend, Dennis Kishiyama, working at Rightway K- right, GT. I need a bike, Dennis, I need a mountain bike. You know, I have a job, I can afford this, right? Give me a deal, dude. So he hooks me up with this GT Curacorm, you know, and I'm like, yeah, mountain bike. So I'm going for like a little three minute ride or I'm, I'm you know, freaking cool. So my good friend, who's my, was my best man at my wedding, who I met jet skiing, um, his name was Paul Dalton. So we're kind of, we know people that know people through Sam or whatever, we meet and I'm like, this is rad. So Paul's like, let's go mountain biking. So he shows up and he's got this like sick mountain bike. I'm like, oh my God, it's a mammoth. It's got elevated chain stays and a bag 21 fork and ants. I like, I'm yeah, this is, you know, so now I'm gonna make my mountain bike like this. But I'm like, I'm a BMX racer. <laughs> I'm gonna show you how to mountain bike, bro. So we go to Whiting Ranch and you gotta climb on a mountain bike to go down, right? Okay, I get about, you know, 300 yards in this climb and I'm throwing up. I'm off my bike walking. Right, because you've never done anything. No, nothing, Matt. That's, you know, I'm an idiot. So we get to the top of elevator shaft or whatever it's called and I'm like, all right, we're going to go down this hill. I'm a BMXer. I'm going to show this guy to go down this hill. Something different than I ever experienced, you know, flat pedals and bounce all over the place and gears and I like, I hated it. I, I wanted nothing to do with mountain biking. This is dumb. I hate this. This is stupidity at its finest. <laughs> Bike goes in the garage, that and I just go jet skiing. So that was it. So just life is so funny. So now I own a condo in Garden Grove. I'm in my 20s. My dad helped me get in a condo. My mom working at Albertsons. Actually, I think I left Albertsons. I was working at Coors, Coors as working at Coors now because I was done with Albertsons. I got a job opportunity to work for Coors and be a sales guy. So I'm a route beer sales guy, and I go to the stores and the markets and take inventory of Coors and tell them how many they need, and the driver drinks it on on Wednesday. So I'm doing this, and you know, I've got a little condo, and I'm hanging out. So my buddy Teddy comes by my house, and he's freaking fit. I'm like, dude, you look good. He's all lean and cut and big old calves. He's like, oh, I've been riding. I'm like, what are you riding, dude? Because he wanted to do some triathlons. So he's got this mountain bike, and he puts slick tires on it. He's like, let's go for a ride. You got a mountain bike ride? I'm like, yeah, it's hanging up there. It's got dust and cobwebs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, screw that. But I'm like, all right, that bike looks cool. So what I do, I go buy some slick tires, figure it out, and I convert my mountain bike to kind of like a road bike. So Paul, or Teddy and I go for a ride. And I suck. I can't pedal up the freaking hill, but, you know, it's 15 miles. And we do it again. So I start building some endurance and some stamina. So now riding the jet ski, like... All right, this is pretty rad. I can start going 15, 20 minutes in a moto, and I'm I'm good now. So I start doing better jet ski racing, but I'm kind of like liking this bike thing, remember? So, you know, the jet ski thing, it starts getting expensive, and then the jet skis get bigger, and it's a 750, and I'm blowing motors, and it's expensive, and I'm just funding this out of my own, you know, probably making 25,000 bucks a year at Coors with a condo on my own. So I kind of start getting out of the jet ski thing, but was still in it, and I'm riding mountain bikes, and then... My buddy, Teddy, says, hey, we're gonna go mountain bike riding. I'm like, well, my bike's a road bike. Well, just switch your tires. I'm like, oh, okay. So I switch the tires, put mountain bike tires on. We go to Chino, and there's like 10 of us. So like, we're climbing up Northridge, and we kind of just get away, me and Teddy. And I'm like, man, I'm kind of fit now. Like, this is fun. I hadn't noticed. Because now I can pedal, and I have some fitness, and I understand like how it all works. So man, I'm like, yeah, I'm like mountain biker. So anyway, that's kind of where it goes. So. Fast forward, I'm still working at Coors. I love jet skiing. I mean, I'm still racing and riding, but I'm also getting passionate about cycling again. 
So I'm driving up Rosecrans Avenue and going on the Fullerton Loop. Here's Toby Henderson and the Iron Horse fan. I remember it like it was yesterday. So I pull over and Toby's like, what's up, Mike? I'm like, hey, Toby, I'm checking out his bike. I'm like, dude, that's right. He's like, yeah, just kind of breaking in. There's a race speaking up Fontana. I'm like, mountain bike race? He's like, yeah, you should come check it out. I'm like, I'm going to race, man. So I ended up racing my first downhill race. Now, what does your bike look like at this time? It's a GT Hardtail Avalanche, and it's got a front Mag 21. It's got bar ends. It's got, I think it was called Kata, Kata, Cook Brothers, Cranks. Had some Shimano SPD pedal and onto Porcupine tires. It's white. How heavy do you think that baby was? Probably about 30 pounds back then, which was about, you know, triple chain ring. Sure. You know, but anyway, so I raced a downhill race on a hardtail. I didn't know any better. I ended up getting third my first race. Wow. Yeah. On a hardtail. You know, but it wasn't, it was the beginner class. Was there full suspension yet then? There was, but it was three inches. Okay. <laughs> that was, you know, that was right. downhill bike. So here I am, you know, like racing jet skis. It is a little expensive. Kind of falling over the cycling. I got Teddy, who's a high school friend at BMX's racing. My, my new best friend, Paul Dalton's into this mountain bike thing. And, you know, it's part of my life now. So I kind of made the transition out of jet skiing into mountain biking. So all my buddies were doing XC and I was doing downhill because I did the BMX. So we just kind of had fun. And then I started getting more fitness. Not that I'm fit, but I got pretty fit and started racing both downhill and cross country. Did really good in downhill and did really good in cross country, you know, for and I moved up from the beginner class to the sport class to expert downhill and you know, I did that for three or four years and really had fun with it. And went to Mammoth and raced Norma Nationals. I got pictures somewhere around here of my medals I got and different different divisions and groups and stuff. And you know, it was like it was really good and bikes now were back a part of my life. Still had a jet ski, but I just jet skied for fun. And we went to the Havasu and we went to Oceanside and Jet Ski. So I'm kind of doing all of this. And then just the jet ski thing, you know, I ended up at that time. Now I'm with my wife, Jody, and I met her through Paul. And, you know, we're pretty heavily involved in a relationship. So, you know, I'm still riding and it takes time. And we're going to the river and jet skiing. But I kind of got out of the jet ski racing because the sit downs came in and took over. And if you race stand ups, you're never going to race sit downs. That was that was baloney. That was just a bunch of crap. Like, forget that. I am all about the stand up. So <laughs> that, that, it's changed. The, I mean, sit downs change the sport. And if anybody does research on jet skiing, it's a it's a known fact. So anyway, so Beck, I'm back full bike. I'm full bike. I'm full bike, full bike. I'm mountain biking. I'm racing. We're going to Norba. We're doing Big Bear. We're doing, you know, the Fontucky series. And we're just, I'm racing. And I'm, and I'm doing respectfully well, you know. And I went to nationals. And I made some, you know, some, I did okay. I wasn't, you know, no superstar. I wasn't no Brian Lopes or Toby Henderson. But, you know, I did good. And I was proud of it. Um, so we ended up getting married, my wife and I. And I'm now I'm working. I left Coors. And I'm working now for Arizona Ice Tea, and I'm very passionate about that. And I love my job. I'm going to New York, and that's where corporate headquarters were. And but bikes are still a part of my life. Um, start doing a little BMX again, kind of, kind of like right before I got married. I bought a BMX bike and raced the BMX couple nationals, and actually did pretty good. Like now that had kind of faded off BMX. Yeah, at BMX because I got out, and then what happened was like all these mountain bikers I've mentioned, the Tobies and the Lopes and the Carters and Mike Kings and all these guys, you know, they had all. Graduated from BMX, Dave Callahan. They all went into mountain biking. Right, they became so now, kind of adults. And I know these guys, and we're kind of like, all right, I can do this. But they've they've been in it for a couple of years. And they've advanced to the pro level, so I'm kind of racing downhill at a pretty good expert level, and I'm competitive. And you know, my goal was to come a pro and do that. But it, anyway, 
So that's a big part of my life. I'm working for Arizona Ice Tea. I got an Arizona mountain bike team I created. Mr. Voltaggio was the owner. He funded it for us. I got kits made and I got pictures of it floating around somewhere. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, all right, bikes are cool. You know, bikes are cool. But I'm working for Arizona Ice Tea. Now, you're, you always end up racing. You could not just go for a ride on the loop. You always had to end up being super competitive. Yes. Is, is that something always in you? Always driven? And I don't, I, yes, I was competitive. I don't know why, because my dad was the most non-competitive person you ever met. Mom? <laughs> she was probably worse. So, <laughs> I don't know. Grandparents? Nope, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. it's a real drive I, in you. I just like, I think... The competitiveness in the bike and that it's just I was so passionate and that's like what we emulated back then. Like it wasn't it was just different, you know. I can't explain it, but I've all I've always I've all I think I, I to be honest with you, my dad wasn't competitive, but he always strived for perfection. Okay. And I think competitiveness and perfection goes hand in hand. Sure, they're married. I mean my dad, he I mean, and I might get teary-eyed here talking to you, but I just remember his passion for human being and to be a good person and a good leader and a good owner and whatever he did my dad gave it 150 freaking percent. End of story. So that does rub off on you. Right, so that's where the, comp the, the competition of my self, Matt, comes in probably because of who he was and the way he did his life. He wasn't a competitive person, but he wanted to be the best right. at what he did. Got he it. gave it his best every damn day. Okay. And he put that in, he instilled that in me. Can you, know, you imagine if you had siblings? Whew. Well, we would have been fighting probably. <laughs> who knows? Thank, thank God I'm an only child, you know? I mean, and I had, my wife will tease me today, like, are you talking to your pretend friend? <laughs> and I'll forget. Like, like, this is just an only child. We, I'll get fast forward real quick here. You can appreciate this. You'll probably laugh at me and be like, what an idiot this guy is. <laughs> Turn the podcast off. Um, we used to go to the desert. We had a trailer, and I ended up buying a motorcycle. But none of the guys in the desert had a motorcycle. So I'd be out just riding by myself. My wife's like, do you have fun? I'm like, yeah, just pretend I'm racing Ricky Carmichael and Jeremy McGrath. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm an adult. I'm 35 years old. I've got a wife and two kids. And I pretend in my mind, like, I'm chasing McGrath, you know, like, rrr, anyway. But, With your friends out but of I was, Yeah, like, like, what am I doing out there for hours, rrr, going in loops? But Did you talk to yourself? I did. Oh, I God. still do. My wife will tell me all the time, why are you talking to yourself? I don't know. Your pretend friends are gone, Mike. Uh, that's just who I am. So, but back, at, you know, back to the competitiveness. It's just, it was instilled. So, I guess what happened was... So I'm working for Arizona, you know, I'm, I'm racing mountain bikes, and then we start a family. So obviously, I, I, I wanted to put everything into my family. Sure. You know? And I had to give up something. Not that I wanted to, but I knew I had to. I wanted to be a good dad. I mean, I just, and that was something my dad instilled in me, Matt. You know, we talked about being a child today and the differences, and you know, that was important to me, was to be there for my family. And I wanted my wife to stay at home, and I wanted to raise my kids, and we wanted to do what's right and bring them up correctly, and you know, God bless us, we've been fortunate that I have, I have good kids, and my wife did an amazing job. So I'm very grateful for that. But obviously I had to sacrifice the bicycle. So as we get a little bit old, my kids get a little bit older, like Brent's like three years old now, Melanie's one and a half, two. I'm missing the bicycle, and I probably wasn't very happy that I couldn't ride my bike. So, it, it, you know, it, it, it creates stress in a marriage. Not that it was bad, but I couldn't know my wife, and I'm like, I think I have a solution. Because how about I give you Monday and Wednesday night, and I get Tuesday and Thursday night. So I get home from work, and I get two hours to do what I want, and you're gonna take care of the kids. And then on Monday night, you can go get coffee, go get a nail, so I don't care. That way I can ride my bike. So my wife's like, you know what, that's a great idea. And it was the greatest thing ever. Until, <laughs> here we go, drum roll. <laughs> My little son, Brent, has his little bicycle. And it's a 12-inch dyno, okay? 
So I get home from work, I put my kid on, and Brett's like, we going for a bike ride, Daddy? I'm like, yeah, but I'm gonna go ride 20 miles, dude. <laughs> and my wife just looks Keep at up. me. Well, you're not gonna disappoint your son, are you? I'm like, oh. so I'm like, well, Joe, I gotta go for a ride. And I, I'm leaving the driveway and he's trying to ride with me and he's just crying. And I'm like, oh, this, you, she's a good salesman. You know what I mean? Let's hire her. Yeah. Anyway, so we work through it. But as Brent gets a little bit older, you know, he fall, he starts liking the bicycle. So I'm like, dude, you're gonna be at the next Stu Thompson BMX racer. You're gonna be Perry Kramer. You're gonna be Pete Longcarabich. You're gonna win nationals. So I get him a bike. I don't own the bike shop. I work for Arizona. So we take him to the Orange Y at about four years old. And he can ride his bike around the neighborhood. I'm like, he's going to smoke all these kids. So we get to the track, and he can't even get around the track. <laughs> Embarrassment. And then I know people that are at the track because other dads were doing the same thing. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, um, yeah, let, let's go, honey. <laughs> Let, let's go. I, this is embarrassing. So Brent just wasn't there. He was too young or whatever. So we give it six months. And I don't own the bike shop yet. We give it six months. And we go back, and he actually can get around the track, and he races and gets dead last, but we're so happy. He's four years old. You know, he's racing a BMX bike. but And he's loving it. He's stoked. So that's kind of where we go from there. So now I'm working at Arizona, and I have to go to New York on 9-11. And I've told this story before. I fly red eye because of the time difference. Mm-hmm. I don't lose a day, and I'd sleep on the plane. That was a smart thing to do. Guess what? I get delayed. My plane lands in LaGuardia, and they're mowing over the Trade Center. 9-11. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I'm in New York. New York is tough. These guys are no joke. No way, dude. Crazy, crazy, crazy. I end up spending three days in New York while 9-11's getting destroyed. I'm in Mr. Voltaggio's $14 million house that was going to be bought by Billy Joel, which you could overlook and see Manhattan, and we're sitting in his house, and I'm white-knuckled for three days, and I'm watching the World Trade Centers just tumble and molt and melt and snow, and watching the news, like, the world's coming to an end. Um, that changed me. I wouldn't be here talking to you if it wasn't for 9-11. Because at that point, when I got home from 9-11, after I drove home with three strangers, because I was scared to death to be on an airplane, I said, I can't work for the man anymore. I can't do it, sorry. When I got home, I had a message on my fax machine from the company about the next New York meeting in three weeks. And I'm like, I love you, Don. And he was, I had a personal relationship with Mr. Voltaggio, much respect, and I learned a lot from there for eight years. I made one of my best friends there, Bob McLeod, who I'm very grateful for, who helped me get here. Um, I'm like, I'm over it. So I went and told my wife, I go, I can't do this anymore, honey. I can't work for Arizona Ice Tea. I started looking for a job, hardcore. And I love what I did for Don. I love Don, I loved Arizona Ice Tea. I had stickers on my car. I just, I loved the job. It was great. Great product. What was that, what was that being there in New York that made that switch, that flip, that like, I can't do this? Was it the terror? Was it the experience? It was the experience, the fear, and the what if. You know, like what if, and Don, you know, I mean, I was, we were never near Manhattan when I worked for Don, Matt, but it just put a different perspective on my life. Right, yeah. It's, Which, and I, I don't even know how to describe it from what I experienced. It just, looking at these people in these broad, pompous New York people, just seeing them like you could look right through them. They were hollow. It was, it was, and then just the unknown of like my family's at home and what else is gonna keep happening? I'm not there to hug my kids and hug my wife. And I, I just, it was, it was gnarly. So it, the 9-11 was one thing and then the company handled it because Don was so pompous and such a proud guy, like it didn't phase him. 
and he was I learned a lot from Don uh, but I'm like all right it, this is this isn't for me so I started looking for work and it was a tough time in my life because I wanted out so bad but I couldn't leave because I couldn't I had to have a job and what I started doing was I lost my passion to work hard I lost that that goal that my dad put inside me to be the best and it tore me apart I wasn't doing my job for Arizona and I was getting paid I was scuffing. I would go back to New York for these manager meetings that I still went to for until I got my new job, and I was almost falsifying my numbers because I didn't care. That was eating me up inside. This isn't what my dad taught me to be. My dad was, I lost my dad already. My dad was no longer alive. He lost him, he was 67, so it was almost 35 years ago, but it tore me apart, and it's, it's even hard for me to talk about because it's not who I was. I was being dishonest, and I was cheating the system, and it wasn't good, but I hated working there so bad I wanted out. I ended up getting a job at another company, and I thought it was going to be the greatest job ever. Let me tell you. Because <laughs> when I worked for Arizona, I worked out of a home office. I could set my travel. When I took my next job, I had to go to Newport Beach in a like the yuppie executive type job, right? Every day? Yeah. I get off at 5 o'clock and get home at 7. You think my wife was happy? No. I couldn't ride my bike. Couldn't see my kids. It sucked. Now I'm like... This sucks. I got to get out of this place. GK Skaggs. I got to get out. I'm out. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. What am I going to do? There was something missing. There was something missing. I didn't know what. So the opportunity came up. The guy that was running the shop had some internal problems with his nephew and stuff. And one of my buddies, Robert Perez, hit me up and goes, dude, you should own a bike shop. I'm like, okay, yeah, easier said than done. <laughs> we go to lunch. He used to work for me at Arizona Ice Team. We used to call him Scooter, Robert Perez. And I'm like, man, I don't know, dude. It's not that easy. So I start talking to Bud, and Bud's lost his manager, nephew, and he goes to work for Jack. So I just come in one day, and I knew Bud because my local shop here at Fullerton, and I go, Bud, can I take you lunch one day? I want to talk to you about something. I think Bud thought I was going to be the mediator because I knew Craig very well his nephew, oh. and a new butt. So he's like, what brings you here? And I go, like, what is your plan? And he was in his 60s, I think, late 50s. Would you be interested to sell your shop? Now, I don't have a pot to piss in. I just bought a house. I got two young kids at home. You know, it's different time. I'm like, so I entertained Bud a little bit, and he's like, yeah, we don't know what we're going to do. You know, I might sell. I'm getting old. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. So I write him a nice recap letter like I would when I worked in the beverage industry. Meet with a distributor, you write him a letter, here's what we discussed, thank you for coming in, let's do this, 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 and that was a nice follow-up. So I sent him a letter, mail it to him. I think that impressed him. So we have a few more meetings and conversations, and I'll kind of get to it. In 2002, around December, he's like, you know, we'll sell you Fullerton. We want to get out. I talked to Susie, his wife. We're going to keep Buena Park, but we'll sell you Fullerton. And Fullerton at that time was was almost going out of business. Now, at, what's your discussion with the boss at home? Okay, so. Because that's the that's important a, thing. Well, Even before having a discussion with him, do you go to the wife and say, hey, so, I got an idea? Matt, and, and uh, that, that's a huge turning point in the conversation. So I start talking to Jody about it, and she looks at me with three eyes, and it's like she has a broom, and she wants to hit me over the head. And she was probably right. She's like... Mike, we have a mortgage, and let's, <laughs> how much money can you make? It's a bike shop, and I mean, you can imagine the conversation. So I'm like, look, I think I can make a decent amount of money if I work hard and grow the business. Showing me the numbers that Bud did, I think we could be okay, it's a risk. But I said, Jody, Bob told me, 
And Bob was my boss at Arizona at one time who they demoted and treated like crap, but I can say that. Um, who I had a lot of respect for. He became one of my best friends. Um, and I still love him today. He moved, but I respect him so much because he was such a leader in my life because I had no dad. Who did I go to? Went to Bob. Bob was an older gentleman. Bob's probably 15 years older than me, but I respected him and loved him like a father. Um, he gave me some great advice. And, um, but Bob told me, like, Mike, you're 35 years old. You got your whole life ahead of you. Do it now because you don't want to look back at 50. You don't want to look back. Trust me, you're gonna succeed. I know how you are. I know how competitive you are. I know how much you're gonna put into it. You're gonna make that the best bike shop ever. So my wife is kind of on board. So we're now we're getting close with Bud. So I'm buying a business that's worth X amount of dollars. And Bud's like, I need some collateral. Okay, well, let's see. Uh, <laughs> got a retirement with about $12,000 in it. And two kids. And two kids. <laughs> Which one do you want? Right. And that's our state farms. But he wants collateral. I own a house, but the bank owns it, so there's no collateral there. So Bud says, well, you know, what about your mom's house? I'm like, oh, boy. So my father passed away. My mom's house was worth a nice chunk of change, and it was paid for. There was no mortgage because my father passed away, and she paid off the house because of this, the life insurance, et cetera. So I started talking to my mom, and my mom is like, you're a freaking idiot. No way, no chance in hell. I mean, come on, if you fail, I'm gonna lose my house. I'm 67 years old, or how old my mom was, you know, 70 years old, and I'm like, so she was thinking about it. My mom loved me very, very much. And I went back to her, and I said, Mom, I respect your decision, but all I'm gonna say is, remember when Charlie, my dad, bought the Mayflower Market? We bought the store. How did he do it? Marie gave him his retirement money, and she's mortgaged their house, and we mortgaged our house to get the store. And look what happened. I can do it. Please believe in me. And she, she, she agreed. So we went down to the firm, Matt, and we signed papers. And on January 3rd, Monday, January, yes, the Rose Bowl was played on Sunday. Bud was a huge USC fan. They won the Rose Bowl, Carson Palmer. Remember it. I'm having lunch with Bob. How's it going? At Red Robin in Costa Mesa. <laughs> and my cell phone rings. And I'm like, Bob, it's Bud Campbell. And he goes, Mike, let's meet. I'm like, well, Bud, how about them USC's? So Bud and I get together and he shared some documents and he put together a proposal. So I could perform collateral and everything he needed, I could provide. So I did it. 2003. March 1st, I took over ownership here, Fullerton Bikes. Not really knowing my butt from my elbow, but enough. I had fed butts, like when Bud was asking, how are you gonna buy? I'm like, oh, I'll just get a loan or this and that. Bud, 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 Bud played the bank. So it worked out, he made interest and I bought the business from him and he owns the property, he's my landlord. So I took over the business. So now I have to solidify my distributorship. Like what brands am I gonna sell? Because right. he was selling other brands. And Bud you know, said, you do what you want, but I got you solidified, but you need to no negotiate now. So now I could walk in. So the first thing I did was I looked at what was gonna work for me. What brand was gonna be the powerhouse, Matt? Who can I rely upon? Where's the growth? I didn't have a good portfolio in the shop. I sold Gary Fisher, not a very good brand at the time, but I sold Giant and Electra and some BMX brands. So I remember having a meeting with Giant. The account executive at the time, his name was Perry Kramer, the PK Ripper. We were BMX friends. And I told him, man to man, I go, Perry, I need your commitment from your company that you're gonna support me and you're gonna be my number one distributor. I will grow your brand like no other, but I need your word that I don't need to worry about you terminating me for not doing a good, good job or moving over to another shop or whatever they do, because they all switch, you know. Sure. So, 
Perry looked at me and shook me in the hand and says, you've got Giants Ward. And here we are 20 years later. I'm the third, large, third or fourth largest, largest giant distributor in America. Wow. So what a relationship. What a partnership. Love it. And all that from BMX. Knowing him from there. Pretty much. Having a relationship. Pretty much. Yes, Matt. You nailed it. So, you know, we did that. That's how it started. And then I started working in the shop. And Jody started, you know, helping out. Now, you know, the kids are starting to grow up. Brent's seven years old now. And how's that first, like, 90 days? What oh, are my you God. thinking? Right? Because 90 days is where it really... So the first first 30 days, I worked straight. I would never took a day off. I was here every day trying to figure it out, make changes, cleaning stuff up, organizing product, you know, starting to buy, you know, buy product. I got a little bit of credit for all the applications, and I got some credit from Giant and Electra and Haro and QDP. How many employees you got? Uh, three or four, you know. And Leftovers. I'm, yeah, they were all, I knew them all, so I kept okay. everybody. Had a general man, like a, like a manager named Jeff, great guy, and he ended up moving on, didn't work out, you know, he moved on. Then I promoted this kid named Richard, who was in a part-time manager, and we started building the BMX section and selling more BMX, and BMX is still a part of my life now, and my son's racing, my daughter's racing, and it's the Orange Wife Wednesday night family affair. We're going racing every week. My daughter's racing, my son's racing. We got a Fullerton Bikes race team. The business is starting to grow. I start becoming one of the go-to BMX shops. Like, you know, we're starting, you know, like, I'm on the map now. Like, Where is BMX at this point, 2002, it, three, like, It's It was respectful. It was coming back. Okay, it so was it coming was, back. It was starting to grow. Yes, it was. But in the 90s, it was, at the, man, like, there was a what point, are you doing? It, it died, you're right. Yeah. And then it, it made this little comeback. So I'm like, you know, we're and we're going racing. And I got 20 kids in Fullerton jerseys. And we have teams and a team party. And Fullerton's known as a BMX shop. And I'm building bikes and I'm building the business. And we grew 15% in 2004. And we grew 15% in 2005. And we grew... 12%, you know, I'm growing the business and I'm selling more giant bikes and more giant mountain bikes. So, you know, I'm into BMX and this is a, it's a big turning point in my life. You know, I learned a lot. So my son was racing and, you know, he was going to be the next greatest Donnie Robinson or <laughs> Kyle Bennett, you know, those are, you know, anyway, so he's racing and I'm into it. The typical dad, pedal, son, pedal, get over, get out of the gate, you know, and Melanie's racing and my wife and I kind of pushed Melanie a little too hard and forced her to hate the sport. But we live and learn as parents because, you know, we're sideline parents. And I'm racing BMX now, the 35 and 45-year-old overclass. And I'm having fun and I'm doing well. And I'm racing with all the old BMX guys that are the same as me that I grew up racing with. <laughs> Barry Nelson and Kirk Crisco and Raven Marunde and Swanee Swanson and all those fools. I'm racing and we're having a good time. So Brett's kind of getting burned out now. He's about 12 or 13. And I'm sick. I, I don't want this to happen. I love, I just love this. I love bikes. I love BMX. I love going to the races and hanging out. And it was it, your thing. It was, Matt. And I could tell Brett was kind of burned out. So, you know, I'm like, hey, Brett, got your new helmet. Let's go to the truck. Not tonight, Dad. You know, and I, he got burned out because it's the same three kids on Wednesday night. He's 11 expert and getting a points race to get a stupid trophy. We go to the nationals and he'd make one main and wouldn't make the other. And we went home, you know, and, and it's, it was a tough. It was tough on Brad. It was tough on me because I wanted him to win. And his friend were his friends not involved. He had separate friends. He had track friends, and he had the school friends or the the party friends from mom. You know what I mean? Right. Matt? We had those friends. But all when you were a kid, all your friends were BMX friends. Yes. 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 Because like, you didn't but, play well, baseball. You didn't. Yeah. Go to the I mean, I had my neighborhood friends and my BMX friends. Right. And my BMX friends outside of Danny Hedges and Jeff Shepard. My BMX friends are still my best friends. I mean, those are the guys. I still hang out with some but of the you guys. you had a world of those friends. Yes, we had. Hundreds. Yeah, so I had groups of friends. Right. I had your high school friends, your school friends, your neighborhood friends, and your BMX friends. So I had a party. I had three groups of friends. Nobody knew each other. Right. <laughs> you know, that's just how it was. Yeah, he's racing against the same Gary and Steve yes. and Bob, yeah. and it gets old. So 
you know, I, I take a look back and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to push him. If he doesn't want to race BMX, I don't care. So let's move up springtime. This time, you know, 10 years, 11 years ago. One of the guys that raced BMX comes in, Tommy Lattenhauer. Dude, I did this killer, I'm going to do this killer mountain bike race on Tuesday night. You should come. I'm like, what? <laughs> Tuesdays. So now, right, so I had been riding, I spent a lot of time on my mountain bike, you know, with riding with the shop and doing different things, Brent's in school, whatever. He's, you know, kind of doing little jumps on his bike and his scooter, and he's just being a kid. You know, Melanie, she's just being a girl, you know, she could care less, um, but that's fine. She quit BMX after I broke her thumb racing, but that's a, I won't talk about that. I'll, be, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll get summons by the, you know, child police. But So he, he talked about this race. I'm like, all right, so I called Brent. I'm like, hey, Brent. You know, he had a little mountain bike because we kind of would ride together and he liked it. I'm like, you want to go do a mountain bike race? He's like, yeah, let's go, you know, because he still liked the bike. So I pack him up on Tuesday night, you know, and God bless over the hump. They just had yesterday the biggest race in the history. Amazing. Love Matt and those guys. They're awesome. So we go over the hump. And I told my wife, like, it's like a mountain bike race. I'm like, my buddy Tommy said there's a race, but they have a kid's class. So I get there. And it's like, Brent's 11. I think it was like 12 to 19 was the age group. <laughs> That's the kid class. Right. right. I'm like, all right. So I'm like, you want to race, Brent? He's like, yeah. I'm like, so I think I might, I don't know. I just signed him up. It's a 12-year-old kid. I don't remember. But sure. the freaking kid gets like third place. And he is the happiest. I'm like, yeah, buddy. I got to get to work and build this kid a sick bike. <laughs> Here it goes. I call my buddy up, Matt. And he's like, let's get this. And we're on the catalog. And I'm ordering, you know, building him like this bike that he can really start competing with. So we raced like three or four races, and he was loving it. So I was like, all right, dude, this is, you know, this is cool. So I start racing mountain bikes again, and my life goes to the races, and Brent's like having fun, and you know, he's like the little, I love the little kid with the little blonde hair, look at the photo, anyway. So Brent's having fun, and we go out there, and you know, we're racing. And I'm like, this is the vibe, like this is like BMX all over again, and Brent loves it, and so, he starts racing, and then the following year, he gets, like, second overall in the 12 to 15, whatever they have, and he, I'm going to win. And he starts riding with some of the shop guys. Now he's 13, 14, and, like, Brian Gordon and Manny, they'll take Brent Matt. They'll take Brent riding after work, and he'll go ride Santiago Oaks and the Fuller Toulouse because we'll let him ride alone, but he's riding with older kids, and, they, and you know, he's really becoming a cyclist, you know? And he's, now he's on a full-size bike, and I can't even beat the kid anymore. He's he's killing it, you know. Oh, there it starts. Yeah, once you know. Get, I yeah. talked to you when you bought your bike with your son. Yeah, Give once, him six months, yeah. and yeah, you're like, yeah, whatever, Mike. And you get smoked. See ya. Yeah. So hey, why'd you slow down? Yeah. So wait for me. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> Embarrassing, right? Yeah. So anyway, so Brent, you know, the next year he wins over the hump. Junior boys, he moves up, and you know. You could check with Matt that owns Over the Hump. I think Brent's raced Over the Hump more than anybody else. But during this frame, I'm excited that he's on the bike. I'm excited I own a business. Brent's involved with bikes. You know, Melanie, she wants to be a nurse. We love her to death. God bless her. She's focused. She's driven. She's going to get it done. But Brent loves the bike. So I'm, you know, I'm stoked. And, you know, we go racing and do the thing. So then I have this comp, Brent had some bad racing. You know, he wasn't winning, he was getting beat, at this, he had a slump. Sure. So, you know, instead of getting mad, you know, I, I'm like, look Brent, let me explain something to you. You race the bike for you, not for me. I love you, your mother loves you. You race for you. If you don't wanna race, I don't care. If you wanna play pillywinks or soccer or whatever you wanna do, because he played soccer and did a few sports, not a lot, that's on you, buddy. You do it for you. 
So a couple of my friends, Brian and Victor Sheldon, a guy I met jet skiing, Brent knows the kids, he's 15. I give him a call, I'm like, need some help. Brent needs some encouragement. We know how fast he is and how good he is. Not to brag about my son, but you know, he's a good rider. He's not right. gonna, not gonna the Olympics, but he's a good local kid. Um, you know, they, they, they know it too. So they, they kind of they mentor him and guide him and, and help him. And you know, it was a blessing that I took a step back and let him become the Brent of his own and the racer of himself and figure it out himself. Because Brent's always been a competitive kid and we could never figure out like why he wasn't a better BMX racer. My wife teases him to this day. Oh, you hit the brakes in the first turn. Everybody passed you. You'd be gone. You hit the brakes. You got scared. And I mean, they get they get in arguments and fights in fun over that because that was his personality. But anyway, he figured out himself how to be fast and how to overcome that. But now here we are, you know, 2021. You know, he still loves the bike more than any kid I know. He's been racing all these years. All the kids he started with racing, they don't race anymore. They've gone on to different things. Like, he doesn't see himself without the bike. So, amen, right? I mean, right. It's, it's good for the business. Giant loves him. They know him. He's been sponsored by Giant. He's got a cool sponsor called Dream Team. They make killer clothing. They love Brent. He races mountain bikes. He races cyclocross. He races gravel. He races road. He just loves the freaking bike. He's bought his own speed wagons and all these crazy custom bikes. He's into it, you know? He's 22 years old. Wow. He rides his bike more than he drives his car. That's great. No lie. He puts more miles on his bike by far than his car. That's unbelievable. He doesn't drive the car unless he has to go someplace that he can't ride his bike. God, I wish more people would do that. Amen. Jesus. So those first couple of years, was there any fear like, oh, God, this isn't going right? At the bike shop? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we experienced 2008. Right. <laughs> but even before eight, like the first couple of years, you're, so, st you're still new. Three so, or four. Like, <clears throat> just the inventory, cash flow, the ugly side of business people forget. So here's something that I find interesting, Matt, is when I was in my 30s, I never worried about six months from now. Things were just going to be good. I was going to have cash flow. I'm going to sell bikes. It's all going to be good, right? It doesn't work that way. As I got older, I started thinking like, okay, what's the next step? Where am I going to be? I mean, as a business owner, I'll be the first to admit, and I'll say it in public, I made some big ass mistakes. This place might not have been here. And I'll share the story. Right, because that's the important part people like, miss. I got this place in financial trouble. I was spending more, I wasn't, I was managing it, it was growing. So you have growing pains, but I made mistakes. I did stupid stuff. And I just got myself in a hole. Was it overspending? Overspending. Too much inventory, not enough term. Bills are due, inventory still here, bill becomes past due. And it's very common in the bike industry. It's not an uncommon thing. So Now, how did that happen? Was that just of your absolute naive of how it worked, or was there a downturn in the actual bike industry? It's kind of a combination of both, Matt. Essentially, you know, it was thinking you're gonna sell X and buying X because you loved X. I love the high-end, bling bling bikes let's get five of them at retail at five thousand dollars but i sell one of them at five thousand and the other four i sell at discounted just to get my money back made no money sure i got my money back but i didn't make the profit that i was supposed right. to make to pay the bills that's a combination then we had the internet and there's just a lot of things that hurt 
So it, you know, you're late on one bill, you miss the payment here. You're in communication and you're making it work. But at some point you're like, somebody's got to wake up and smell the coffee. So I have a good relationship with the people at Giant, who was my biggest supplier. And I know the credit manager, Danny Fitzgerald, we're friends and he controls what I get and what I don't get. He's a credit manager. Sure. But we're good friends, but we're business. So he calls me up one day and there's a new changing of the guard at Giant. You know, they've got new people in charge and I'm not the only one in the bike industry or at Giant that's in this hole. There's a lot of us. Sure. So Danny's like, dude, we need to hook up. So he comes down from Newbury Park. We go to dinner and he's like, I got to get your account clean or you're not going to sell the brand anymore. Like the mic definitely dropped. Like I knew it was coming, but until you hear it, it's not coming. Right. You just pretend it's not going to be there. So this talks about me starting to worry about tomorrow, but I'm, Four or five years ago, I would, or four or five years prior to that, Matt, I wouldn't have given a rat's rear end. Sure. I'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out, Danny. But Not it, now. Not now. Kids are in their teens. We got college. We got wedding. We got Melanie wants to be a nurse. Uh, I own two stores. Uh-oh. So I'm like, all right, I got to start cutting costs. I got to start doing a lot of things. So I made a list because I'm not going to lose. I'm competitive, right? They're not going to beat me. So JT, who is the general manager of Giant, a very, in my opinion, a very respected man. I respect him. He used to work for Specialized. I didn't respect him at Specialized. I thought he was a bad person. Specialized made him a bad person. He's a great human being. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for JT, and I hope he hears this. He saved my ass. He believed in me. So I called JT up after Danny left. He spent the night at that house, and we put a plan together. I'm like, if I don't go to the boss and tell him my plan, I'm done. And I told my wife. So I broke out the PowerPoint and I made a list and I went through everything I could, spent probably 10 hours putting this list together in a presentation and tell him how I could fix it. Called JT up and said, I need to come talk to you man to man with Danny. I gotta fix this mess. I need to talk to you. Michael, love to see you, come on up. So I drive to Newbury Park. We sit in the conference room. I set the presentation on his desk. I go, all right, here it is. Go through everything I'm gonna do, how I'm gonna do it, what I'm gonna do. Step by step, I have an action plan. Well, it's gonna work, I think it is. My closing statement to JT, who I, we're good friends, but I respect him and I always did. And imagine you're meeting with a man who could basically flick his fingers and put me out of business and say, you're not getting any more bikes. I said, JT, look, this mess is my mess, it's not your mess and I'm embarrassed. You deserve better, and I need to give you better. If you don't think I can get out of this mess within a short, whatever the period of time we forget, a couple years, right? because it was a big mess, it took a couple years to get there, I go, here's my keys, I'm done today. If you believe in me, and you have what it, and you believe I have what it takes to get out, I will fight until I can't fight anymore for you. Wow. And he looked at me and he goes, Mike, I take a knee to you. Make it happen, partner. Make it happen. Within, I set a goal, and it was a, I think it was a three and a half, four year goal to get everything where it needs to be. Uh, I made it in two. So after two years, I had already fixed the hole and I fixed the problem. Cleaned up. Cleaned up. Now you mentioned it, the second shop. 
When did you decide to buy a second so shop? So I bought Buena Park in 2005. I bought Buena Park in 2005. So you thought, this was healthy enough, I can get that managed. But I was getting out and it made sense to own two shops. And owning two shops is a lot of work. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, we'll get let's get there in a minute and I can explain that to okay. your listeners, what, what really that that's all entails. But the point is, I got through it and I proved to JT and, you know, I get emotional, but I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that man believing in me because he could have said, no, Mike, your debt's too big. It doesn't look good. Who are you kidding? It's over. And, uh, you know, I won. I didn't win. We won. Right. You know? Right. Um, and I'm grateful for that forever. Um, but that goes back to my father. My father always told me there will be certain people in your life who you need to keep close to you that have your back. A lot of those people, Danny at Giant, Elaine at Giant, JT, my sales rep, Mark, who is a near and dear friend, he lost commission during that time frame because he would not send me bike orders because we wanted to get the bills down. And so what you, like, he, Mark took it personal as well, and he went that far to where his commission was affected because instead of getting that $10,000 order, he might've given me 2,000. He helped me, so I am forever grateful. Those are people that are in my life, besides my family and my friends, you know, and our savior, that mean the world to me because I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for them, you know. Um, it was a lot to swallow, it was hard, and I fought hard, and we, we did it, we, we got it together, and I made those mistakes, and they will never, ever, ever, ever happen again. Now, obviously, COVID's a different story because it went to a different level, but I was good and clean many years going into before going into COVID because I wouldn't have bought an e-bike store if I was. Right. So when I bought Buena Park, you know, Fullerton had, you know, it's the 800-pound gorilla. I'm Mike. I'm at the races. I got a kid. You know, Fullerton Bikes is booming. I'm in the community. I'm making friends like you come into the shop. I got on my way to build customer relations. And, you know, Buena Park, I had a, some great managers, but it wasn't the same. And I, you know, I, I kind of let that shop down to a certain degree because I wasn't there. And I go there, and then all I do is get 50 phone calls to people at Fullerton looking for me. Because, and talking to multiple bicycle owners, the shop shop owners that own multiple stores, it's kind of the same thing. You've got your hub, and, and Fullerton's been the hub. Fullerton used, Buena Park used to crush Fullerton. Now really? it's just, it's, oh yeah. But Bud was, but that was Bud's hub. Oh, Bud okay. lived at Buena Park. It was his baby, it was his first. It's like your first, it's just, right. it's the same thing in business, guys. It's the same thing. You've got your love. You know, Elon Musk, what is his love? He has a, you know, Whatever something, you know, maybe the car, going to the moon. That's just the more priority. Everything else is just, it happens. Right. It happens by good people. And Buena Park just happens because they have good people. It's a good story. I mean, it works. I, I don't micromanage. My guys are good. And it works. But, you know, I've created this draw. So now my goal is to create the draw and, you know, expand to more draw at both stores and market it better and do better things. We used to market it separate. Just how do you market two bike shops? So now it's FBBP. That's my name. And we market both stores together. So that's helping in a lot of different things. So... Moving forward, you know, the third store, the e-bike store, you know, so now things are good and, and, you know, my business is growing in a good, healthy manner or margins increasing, um, less debt to supplier, more owned inventory. We're doing things different, you know. So when you're saying doing things different, are you knowing and understanding the market better and going, okay, more people are buying more entry-level bikes? I was, 
yes, I was following the curve of the market versus the curve of my heart. Okay. You know, and yeah, sure, high-end bikes were great, but you know, I didn't need six of them. Right. They had two. How many people are really walking and buying Bentleys? It it was just, it was different. And we made, we made, we went that direction and we managed things tighter and we were, you know, like if a, a, a manufacturer would send me four or five bikes by mistake, I'd be like, yeah, we'll keep them and whatever, no big deal, pay the bill or whatever. No, you sent me four or five bikes by mistake, guess what, I'm not the nice guy anymore. Yeah, sure. Pick them up, I didn't order them. I'll give you, uh, no, I don't care. I don't want them, take them back. And that happened with one big supplier. They sent me like eight bikes and it was a hefty bill. And the guy's like, I'll give it, I go, no, uh-uh. Yeah, you don't need it on your books. I don't want them because I don't want those not to, I didn't, and I, I mean, I, lay, I had to lay the law. And Especially that, if it's not your market, no, like those just don't sell work. here. And I learned a lot. So by doing different things like that, and you know, really changing the way we did business, I restructured my guys' pay. They made more mich- money off commissions and less on discounts. So if they discounted, they out, they gave up their commission. It's easy. I'll give you ten percent off. It's all good. No, no. Tell you what, you don't discount, you'll make five percent. Right. Really? Yeah. Not one percent. You make five percent or whatever it was. I restructured a lot of different things, and I made and it, and it you know. God willing and, and God bless us all. It's it's work. Things. Now, where did you learn that from in business? I just got, I pulled my head out of my butt okay. and just started looking at things at a different level. And you know, um, I, I started listening. I started read some looked at some webcasts or some books. And you know, I just did some research. I just started you know really like putting my heart and soul into being a better business owner versus just a bike shop owner. I started you know coming in that like my passion is the floor. I love my customers. I love my people. But I put a lot of energy in like being a smarter businessman, making things happen behind the scenes, setting a standard, doing things different, and really worried about, you know, thinking about, you know, because now I'm getting older and I'm worried more about tomorrow. You know, 10 years ago, five years ago when I was making those mistakes, I wasn't care- like, oh, we sold a bike. It's cool. We gave you a hundred bucks off. It's, you know, no, no, that's a hundred bucks. You know, if we did that times 10, that's a thousand. You know, I start thinking more. You start worrying more about the future. Things changed because I was m- maturing as a human being. You know, I it just, things became different. Right. I became more of a, uh, a, not that I wasn't a good businessman, but I started doing what I knew. I started practicing what I preached. My best habits started right. coming out. Stuff that I knew I just wasn't doing. Do you think it would have been helpful if there would have been someone to lean on when you bought the business, like a, a CFO or somebody who would have been like, hey, Mike, listen, hold on. Yeah. Because this inventory, these ways of selling yes, practices. I didn't have that. I didn't have my dad. I didn't have a Bob McLeod. I was doing it all. And I mean, sure, I was 35 years old, but... I'm gonna do it my way, and I didn't have anybody to talk. You know, like it, there wasn't. I didn't have. I just. I didn't have. I was. I was the godfather. Right. So I think Matt, that's a great point, and I could definitely admit that today. Like I needed my dad. I needed a Bob. I needed somebody who I could share these things with. You know, because it's also embarrassing. Yeah. Well, they want. They would also be able to give you that advice. Right. Yeah. Early. Yeah. You know, and my accounting team, and they were do. We were doing a good job, and I mean, everything was communicated. But you know, at what point? You know, it came to that boiling point. Like, hey. We got to fix this. How were you as a boss those first couple of years? Oh, God. How was I as a... I mean, I, I think I managed people and I worked at Coors. I was a leader. I think I was respectful. And I managed people at Arizona. And I managed distributors. I've always been good. One thing I did was um, I like to manage off of respect. I give everybody respect first and foremost. So that's your managerial style? My managerial style. My dad taught me you can never... As a manager, you need to treat everybody different. And you have to know what works. Okay? And... That person might need a scolding because that's how he gets motivated. That person needs you to put his arm around him and tell him you love him and tell him you believe in him. He's got to do a better. Like, there's different ways of managing people. Sure. You know, I want to have fun. And one thing I told my guys, one of my very first owner meeting I had, well, after I had Fulton Blaine Park, I had to get everybody together. I had a meeting. And I told my guys, I go, guys, look, if you work hard for me and what I can teach you, 
You can take that to wherever you go in life. I'm not gonna teach you about the bike shop business, model the way I live my life, model what I do, and you're gonna be successful, okay? It's not about, you know, discipline and, you know, sure, guys are late, and, I mean, if you know, and if you can't, if, you, if you're late for work, that's an embarrassment. I don't care, it's not, it's not who I am. My guys wanna be late, shame on them, that's embarrassing. But, you know, let's be human, let's be realistic, let's, let's, let's work together. But I told my guys years ago, and I'll always tell them, you guys work in the bike industry. When you guys get home at night, you probably go to Pink Bike or Velo News or you ride your bike. That's an honor. That's a privilege, okay? The, you think the guy that works at Taco Bell, does he go to tacos.com and wants to see what the newest taco? No, it's a job. Right. It's a job. It's a J-O-B. It's a photographer. It's a musician. You guys love what you do. You're a professional photographer. You right. love taking photos. You love it. You don't do it because you just like to push it. Like, there's a passion about it. Sure. And you're good because you love it and you care about it. You put passion in it. A musician. He loves what he does. He'll sacrifice big money to play it. Like, that's what I teach my team. Like, we love what we do. Show that to your customer. Be nice. Treat them well. Love them. Let them know you're not selling a bike. Who freaking cares? You're selling passion. You're selling health. Make biking a part of your life like my life. I, You know, it's my life. It's my DNA. That's, you know, what I teach my guys. And I told them this early. And I teach it every time. I remind my guys. And, you know, my team is... Amazing. Some of the guys have been with me for 20 years almost. But the point is, you know, we love what we do. and We're working in the industry. I wake up every morning, dude, and I am so blessed that I I can't even believe it. I I, lo- I was a kid, right? It was a bike, Matt. I loved it. Yeah. And guess what I'm doing? I'm talking about customer about a freaking giant road bike tonight. Like this new TCR carbon fiber. This thing's what you need. Dude. This thing's sick. Electronic shifting. Like how awesome is that? <laughs> how awesome is that? And I got a bike tattoo right there. You can't see it, but there's a bike tattoo, you know? I mean, Lance Armstrong, I mean, I love it. You know, it's like, and it's tough. Owning your own business is tough. And, you know, but I, I love the bike. And I've been so blessed that I could do this. So the, the evolution changes and e-bikes are coming and you decide, hey, a third shop? Oh boy, <laughs> you open a can of worms. Because um, it's a, it's a becoming, the evolution of the mountain bike has changed from when you and I first started riding to today. This absolutely. e-bike is exploded. Yep. It's crazy. So long story, you know, e-bike. I believe that e-bikes years ago when they were just starting, because of, I don't care, I love a bicycle. I love a recumbent. I love your coffee table with four wheel. I, I want a bike, I don't care, I love it. So I looked at that as, I want to say, I don't want to say I was different, but I, I believed in it at an early age. Really? Well, early age, like five years ago. Right, like, but that's you know, yep, ground I, floor. I, yeah. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. And I even brought in some way early giant LaFree bikes that were crap, but sorry, giant. Um, but I still, I, I, I believed in them. And I brought them in and tried to sell them, and I, I, I failed. But now the e-bike thing's coming along. So we're selling giant, and they had some great e-bikes. I'm selling Electra, and we got some great e-bikes, and, and we, you know, we're doing well. The guy next door, Sam, God bless him and his wife, amazing people. He is the e-bike king. He's the freaking king. And we become good friends because we work together and I give him a tube and I help out build a wheel and you know he refers people to my business and I refer people to his business. And we got a good relationship. I respect him. So he's selling having an e-bike event and he's like, come on over and put your giants in my parking lot and help me out. You know, I don't care, you're a different customer, but you know, we want to grow the market. A lot of respect for Sam. So I'm like, cool, let's do it. So one day somebody comes in to me, he's like, is that true? I read in Bicycle Retailer, he's selling the store? I'm like, really? Sam's selling the store? 
So I walk over, Sam and his wife, uh, Kimichiko, beautiful lady, nice, real nice lady, very energetic. Um, what's going on? Are you selling your store? Well, it hasn't been announced yet, but we're thinking about it. I'm like, all right. It's in a magazine, but it hasn't been announced. Well, it was discussed, but like, you know, the, the end was soon. He was thinking about getting out. So I'm like, okay. And I didn't think nothing of it. So I walk over the next day, and I need to get a, something from him or checking in. I'm getting a Coke at the liquor store, and I want to I say hi to Sam every day and his wife, and he's wheeling out bikes. And he's like, I'm like, so you're really going to do it, Sam? I'm like, yeah. You got anybody lined up? And I'm not thinking like me. Like, anybody lined up, Sam? He's like, no, you know, I don't know. I got a few guys that are interested. I haven't really, like, made it official yet. We just let everybody know through Bicycle Retailer we're thinking about it, and we are going to start moving forward eventually. So Sam's wife's in the background, and she's a little Filipino lady, and, and, and she's looking at me, and she's kind of, like, nodding her head, like, behind Sam, and Sam's, like, <laughs> the six-foot-six gentleman, and she's, like, give me this thumbs up. I was like, all right. I'm like, well, when you kind of get to it, Sam, just give me a ring. Let's 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 chat. So I go home and I'm like, Jody, I don't know where this is gonna go, and I don't want another bike shop. I'm over it. I, I mean, it's a lot, and I want to love my life. I want to be able to take a day off during the week and go to the beach and be with my wife and take vacations and not worry about it. And you know, we've been broken in and everything else that's happened. But you know, it's it's a lot of stress on me. So she's like, Would you consider buying it? I'm like, Well. <laughs> I don't know. So. <laughs> That's a big. It was a biggie. But then I start thinking, it's next door. I can walk to it. You can fall over to it. Thank you. I can roll to it. We can jump out the window. And anyway, so it started making more and more sense. So the next thing is, I say, Sam, I'm interested. I don't know where you are, but if you want me to, I'd love to talk to you about it. Sam goes, Mike, I was waiting for you to ask. I couldn't have, like, let's, let's talk. So we would start working on a deal. Now, I'm like, don't tell my team. I got 15 employees, two stores <laughs> on the DL. I call Giant. JT, I need to talk to you. What's up, Mike? He calls me Michael. JT, I love you, brother. Got a proposition here, and I won't do it unless you approve it, because I respect you and your company, and I don't want to jeopardize a relationship. Got an opportunity to buy an e-bike store. It's right next door. He knows who it was. We talk. He says, Michael? That might be something good. Can you do me a favor? Get some information from Sam, and that Elena put together a performer. Elena was her credit director, and she helped me get out of the mess. Love her to death. She's a great, great, great lady. Thank you, Elena. So I get all. So I walk over to Sam, and basically, Sam was non-disclosure. He basically hands me his checkbook. Here you go. Every bank statement. He just starts handing me stuff out of the drawer. Here's January. Here's February. Here's my accountant books. He gives me everything. I'm wow. like, whoa, he's not hiding anything. So I end up putting some stuff together for Giant, put together a performer, so building some spreadsheets, revenue, cost, manager, operational, rent, insurance, liability, inventory, margin, blah, 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 blah. Sam's numbers were, were respectful. I knew his light speed system wasn't, didn't really match necessarily his, um, his, his bank deposits. So it was a small mom and pop business. He didn't run it like I did, and nothing against him. He was the king. He was the biggest e-bike dealer in the west of the Mississippi. There's no joke. This guy's the king. YouTube videos. He did everything good. We ran business different. Um, I learned a lot over the years. He kind of reminded me when I started. So I knew there was an opportunity. So I gave a bunch of stuff to Elena, and, and she looked at it. And she's like, "This could be a good opportunity. His books are clean. I mean, he doesn't owe anybody money. Everything's good there. You know, I'm not sure on some of the different things he's done here and there. Blah 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 blah. But I think it can work. So JT talks like." 
we'll approve it. Let's get it. Now, is there, is there worry that they're going to have an e-bike coming down the pike soon? Well, they already have e-bikes and we're already selling them. And I'm okay. doing very well with e-bikes with, with Giant, you know, because okay. we're next to the king. So people are coming here, looking over there. They're looking at Giants. They're, they're starting to market it more. It's, it's growing, like you just said earlier, Matt. Right. So now I'm like, all right. So me and Sam negotiated a deal. I have to get a small SBA because I just didn't have all the cash to buy it. I had put a bunch of money aside and I had to invest. When you do an SBA, it's you have to invest in what you borrow. It's a certain percentage. And get with a great banker, Sean and Brian Gutierrez and these guys, they really helped me out. And it took a lot longer than I thought to get this SBA thing approved. It was should be done by January. It, it just, it was nothing but a headache, but we got it done. It's not, I mean, it's, I have a stack in that drawer. It's this thick of all this paperwork. Oh God. So we made it work and we shook hands and it was a done deal. I mean, Sam was trying to get over because Sam's mother was from, um, not Thai, like Vietnamese over there, Thai, Thailand, excuse me, sorry, Sam. She's in Thailand and her mom's dying and there's special religious, religious culture that they had to follow and Sam had to go over there and he's trying to, he wants to get out. He wow. wants to get out now, like he's over it and he's trying to sell his motorhome and do all these books and papers and bills and it was, it was just a very hectic month. So now, boom, I own the e-bike store. During that time, I'm so forever grateful for Dave Teague, my general manager, Dave, when this went down, he I told him first, because he was my GM here at Fullerton, and he's kind of like, I kind of like to take over that store if you get it. I mean, he probably didn't really know think it was gonna happen. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. But it was it, it was tough, and I am so grateful for our friendship and his respect to me and what he means to my family and what he means to the business, because at any given time, Dave basically could have told me, go pound sand, I'm out of this place. Because during COVID, it was ugly. Because so now, so I point at Dave, and I'm thinking, you know, like Sam was kind of a one-man show. It was him and his wife. So Dave can kind of run it by himself. We got some part-timers over there. So we're kind of trying to figure it out. Everything's working pretty good, you know. It's like pre-COVID. You know, it's February, early last year. And, and you're literally only 20 feet right, away Right, so I'm working something. over here on a Saturday. I went over there with Dave. Dave's off on Monday and Sunday. They're only open six days. So I'm, you know, figuring it out, you know, and I'm working on all sorts of different stuff and building a new website, Matt, and I'm trying to coordinate A, B, and C. And I'm like, man, this is, this is you know, this is a lot. So now... Now, COVID hits, and I'm like, this ain't good. You know, I put a lot of cash into this business. I bought inventory, and we're dead. It's like there's no sales. So, yeah, what was, I was going to say, what's your fear? So, let's say, when does it start to feel for you, the company? February? March? So, I took over about February 22nd-ish. Okay, 2020. Yep. I have ownership. I have keys. When do you start to feel this COVID flow of people coming into the shop? Easter Sunday. Whenever that was, 2020. Okay, March weekend. Yeah, end of I think it was like late March, early April. I forget. Anyway, that's when the the, the, the bike god spoke. That's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, because it was bonkers. We yeah. were here to buy Willem's bike, <laughs> yeah. and we're lucky we got it when we did. You're like you even got in my store, dude. Like it was crazy, as you recall. Yeah, I so, thought you were selling who tickets. I, I mean, it was bonkers. In and Out Burger, right? <laughs> yeah. So. You know, so Dave's over there and he comes over here one day and I can tell he's just, he's pissed. He's like, dude, I can't do this by myself anymore. Because if you look at like the historical numbers, February, I was down, well, March, the whole first month of March, because we're in COVID, I bought the store in February, was disastrous over there, but that was all Sam's numbers, not mine. But isn't it was, quarter one normally a little slow for you after it Christmas? Can, it can be. It's quarter one on weather in California. If we have good weather, it's a good month. Okay. We had pretty good weather. So February, if you look at the February numbers, put them together from Sam and I, because I took over late, 
we were down 60% from what Sam was in 2019. But I wasn't panicked. I just had faith. I knew I could do this. We come out of the gate in March and, and we're not selling. Like it's like Dave's not like, hey, I sold a bike. To, like we were like selling some bikes below cost just to get some revenue. It was stupid. Was he just twiddling his thumbs over there? We're trying to figure it out. You know, and I'm over here. He's over there. But then COVID hit. It was slow. So I'm running skeleton crew, skeleton crew. So I tell my team, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. We don't, you know, our, our governor doesn't know how to write a letter. Nobody knows if they're open or closed. I don't, we don't know anything. Yeah, that's right. Because for it's businesses, it was this. Shut, you know, basically, they said businesses shut down. Right. But then Essential, could stay, Home Depot's open, but, and so was Walmart, but not Fullerton Camera and Fullerton Bikes. I never shut down because I found out from another bike shop owner, said the federal government has deemed us essential bikes from a long time ago. You don't, we're essential because, and that made sense commuters and transporters and sure. kids riding to school, which anyway. So COVID came and we were slow, but not desperately slow. We still had revenue, we still had traffic. E-bike was slow. Fullerton was slow, Buena Park was slow. The city was slow. Everything was slow. Remember those first couple of weeks in March? I mean, it was a ghost town because they told you stay in to Stay you know, indoors. The curve. Yes, follow, yeah, all that Flatten stuff. Flatten the curve. Flatten the curve. We would walk Flatten. around. And we'd go on the loop, and we, it was almost closing, close optional. I mean, there was nobody out. It was crazy. So as I'm driving home every night, getting more into COVID, you know, we're selling little things here and there, I just start seeing people outside. And I started seeing people on bikes. All right, it's cool. Tuesday, 10 more phone calls. Pretty good day. Dave sells two bikes at e-bike. Buena Park has a good day. Wednesday, another good day. We're getting close to Easter. We had, if you recall, we had terrible weather that month with COVID when it first started. Gloomy, cloudy, rainy. Right. Easter Sunday, we're closed. And like Saturday before Easter Sunday, it was like rock star day. Like a lot of transactions, seven, 10 bikes sold, we're busy. And that's big for you. Sure, that was like a normal, it was a better than a normal day pre-COVID. It was just a really good day. Yeah. All right, you know, we got lucky. People outside, weather was good. They're trying to exercise, they can't go to the gym. I mean, we, the, the world knows the, everything. So I come in on Monday after Easter, and we're busy. Oh, kids are on spring break. Wait, wait, kids aren't on spring break. They're out of school because they don't go to school anymore. We're busy. People coming in, 12 o'clock. Banging on the door. Guess what? They don't go to work anymore. They're working from home. So now they're going, you know, they're doing stuff during the day. Conference calls, Zoom meeting, you know. So we're busy and we're selling bikes. Dave's freaking out at e-bike. Like, Mike, I need help. I can't do this alone. I don't have anybody. So I had a manager, Cindy Brown, who's been with the company, her Grandparents started Buena Park back in 1940-something. God bless her. I let her go temporarily because of COVID. I don't know. She's old. She's an elderly lady. She has asthma. She's not the person we want to get COVID. She could die. Right. So I had to let her go. Like, she's been with this company forever. It's all she knows. Like, I had tears in my eyes, man. So I'm starting to do receiving with Brent and my wife. And we're, like, right now, I'm here at... 8.30 on a Tuesday night after a busy day trying to receive product and put in the system and get service done and order more parts and then God bless all my people none of my guys they all worked they all showed up they didn't care like what a great team how grateful am I they work good guys so now we're like getting busy and we're getting busier so I'm on the phone with Giant like hey guys like something's happening 
and I'm working and I'm ordering more bikes and bikes are still in inventory. Are they seeing it? Yes. But remember, COVID hit earlier the year. So right. they, they were shut down. So the inventory chain is going to hit the brakes. Well, guess what? We're selling more now than ever. Every bike shop is. It's Saturday. I'm doing 130 transactions, setting records. I can't get bikes. I can't get employees. But we have bikes. Santa it, Cruz. Is 130 like a pre-Christmas kind of crazy? Better. Best I've ever done, dude. The, we set records beyond belief, and I'll share that. But and I know when I came in, you said at one point you were you were you didn't want to even post photos anymore on your Instagram because you were feeling bad for the other buddies yeah. you knew around town because or you didn't in want- other parts of the market. Because right. but the thing is, I worked, and that's what people do. My giant sales rep was at my house every Sunday for a month at seven, eight o'clock, trying to forecast bikes and order stuff and see when stuff's coming available. I put in so many hours to make sure I could be successful. I put the, other people didn't, or I've talked to bike shop owners across the country. Do you guys have, no, I didn't order on that, I was afraid. They just, I get it, I, I ran the, I rolled the dice, I believed in what was happening. I saw it, I saw kids on bikes, I saw parents on bikes. I'm on the Fullerton Loop, I'm seeing, riding home from work, I'm seeing people that I sold bonkers. bikes to. It was, it was bonkers. crazy, I mean, Fullerton did in one month what Buena Park does in one year. Imagine taking a GoPro and slow motioning a year of sales and sticking it in 30 days. That's what we did. Wow. 16 hours a day. There was no light. I worked. My guys. Now, you had a skeleton crew. Did you go back to full? I could. Yes. Everybody was working. I, I started hiring people. I had friends working for me that weren't, weren't, got laid off from COVID. Just helping out. I'll, we'll figure it out, dude. They'll all just come help out, Mike. We love you, you know? My wife said I can work two days a week. Just <laughs> give me, buy me lunch and let me, whatever. I don't, like, it. it not, everything that I learned, everything I thought, just went out the window. We just, it was survival. That's before they closed off the gravel court. Uh, so that right? got, yeah, the parking lot caught closed because everybody was parking in this guy's <laughs> parking lot and he's afraid somebody's gonna give him a lawsuit. I, I get it, it sucks, I offered to let, dude, it's like. It was crazy here. Right, but we worked so hard, I can't even begin to explain how hard we worked and what we did and the commitment. And then my manager, Jeff, he's working here for me. He's over his brother's company, and he's you know he's my partner, and he's helping. I got hired. This kid Dave rides his bikes in the morning with this gentleman named Fabian, who worked at Bodie Leaf Coffee. He's like Mike, Fabian's gonna quit. He wants to hire him. Come to work tomorrow. Start. <laughs> so when Jeff, my this is how crazy it was when Jeff started. Now Jeff's an adult. He's he's an amazing human. Great family. He's been around forever in the bike industry. Great human. Great friend. Lots of energy. He shows up at 9.45 his first day. I literally get him logged into the computer and kind of set him up at 10 o'clock. I never see the guy till we close. We're that busy. He had to figure everything out himself, Matt. He doesn't, like, it was, we did 160 transactions, like crazy day. Hi, Jeff, welcome to Fallout to Bikes, dude. Jeff gets done. This is awesome! <laughs> see you tomorrow! Like, oh my God. Like, sorry. Now how's Jeff. the e-bikes going? Oh my God, Dave, you know, we're, so Dave and Fabian over there. I got Andre going back and forth. We're fixing bikes and selling bikes. And I got service. My Shimano rep, those guys were, were restricted to go outside and see sales. So by the grace of God, these guys came and did service for me. I'm so grateful. They worked. We had service piled up for every bike shop did. The phones never stopped ringing. I mean, I could have, my wife was answering phones on Saturday. She doesn't know a floor pump from a CO2 chamber. 
and God bless her, she's like, uh, what's the difference between these two? Pu- well, this one's $40, this one's... Th-. She doesn't know, she doesn't, but she's trying, Matt. My son is It's going, we're going crazy. My guys were working, I'm getting pizza delivered. I got, I had customers taking friends that knew bikes or picking up bikes at my shop, taking them home and building them in their garages for me. Because I couldn't keep up with bike builds. We have a gentleman, Miguel, he's been coming to my shop forever. Such an awesome human. He shows up, and I love Miguel. We all love Miguel. You know, his English is broken. He's like, I build bikes, Mike. It's like, get to work, Miguel. So Miguel starts working. I'm like, I need to, you know, it's okay. Thank you. See you tomorrow. Because he was doing, he got laid off from his work. So I start, you know, Miguel starts, you know, I'm like, my guy, I need to, he's like, just give me some bike parts. I'll help you out. You're my friend. You've been good to me. Like, unbelievable, right? Like, this guy, he's still here today. I mean, Everybody, he's racing for our team. He goes on our bike rides now. Becomes part of our family. He has a job at the asphalt company, but he works for me now. He's an employee. God bless him, you know? Wow. I earned hired Suave and Alejandro and all these freaking flip and flopper dudes. But, you know, like, I, I, I just, I had to get employees. But I got lucky. I got some good people. You know, we interviewed them. And, you know, like, I ran the dice. And, you know, um, everybody I got was has been good. So we were able, you know, and it's been work, and they've all learned, and I've learned, and, you through know. That, let's, you know, speed up, like, through that summer and fall. When are you starting to figure out, like, I don't have any bikes? So, there, so like, I could show photos that my son from Buena Park, Buena Park's a big store. There was five bicycles on the floor come Monday morning. Five. Think about that. There's 230 slots. I had five. And what were those two? Those five? What were? God they? only knows. BMX bike, an extra small woman's bike, right. and a freaking six thousand dollar. I don't even remember. People would walk in the store, and Fullerton was pretty close. The only difference between Fullerton was, I no, had it was pretty bare. I had e-bikes, so I had yeah. some e-bikes here that we were holding for next door, so I looked a little bit better. But people would walk into Brent or Alex and be like. Um, are you guys out of business or did you get robbed again? Did you get robbed? Did they come through the roof? Mission up? Like, no, COVID. People didn't get it. Beach cruiser tires, inner tubes, good freaking luck. Yeah. Every supplier was out. Customers are coming in. Oh, Amazon's out. Well, yeah, so are we, dude. Like, yeah, the phone nothing call. Nothing was being made. Yeah, then, then this was even better. Like, as a business, people would come in the store and this, God bless all these customers, but they'd bring in these rickety bikes that sat in their shed outside their shed excuse me uncovered for 20 years with a stick in the spoke can you guys fix my bike and we're like oh god ma'am i love you unless there's sentimental value we need to sell you a new bike like those were the conversations and then there was arguments what do you mean you can't fix my bike and i'm like do you really want me to fix this bike that you got 20 years ago for 200 dollars and charge you $300. I'm thinking of my service guy in the back. He's going to strangle me. Andre and Ethan are going to take my head off. Like, that's not fair to these guys. And we can't get parts. And, I mean, 30 minutes of conversation. And I get it. But, it like, just unbelievable. Well, that's, how, that's how bad people wanted to get out and ride. Right. You know, guys. guy comes in here. Great guy. 240 pounds. He's got a 24-inch Schwinn Varsity. He couldn't put his feet on the pedals, and he wants me to fix his bike. Dude, this thing's a death trap. You know, I got to sell you a bike that fits you. Come with me, please. Let me sell you an extra-large Talon. It's got, you know, I mean, those conversations and those experiences, I mean, they, you know, 
Cindy, who's been with us, and Bud Cavill, the owner, they tell stories about the Swin Varsity days and the Swin Aerodynes and the BMX days. They experienced it, like during their era. If you owned a bike shop in the 70s, those are the things you talk about because those were game changers. Mongoose Motomags. Oh, yes. My generation owns businesses. We're talking about COVID. My son, he will never experience COVID. It'll never happen again. I mean, the business boom. Right. That kind of explosion. Unbelievable. Like, I should and want to write a book about my business as a bike shop owner one of these days. Business 101 or 101 for idiots. I don't know. But somehow I, I think I've got an amazing story that needs to be published. What was what was Giant's response at that point? Like, they were they, I mean, they obviously couldn't get bikes made. So, so were they just selling everything they had and were just telling you, Mike, we don't got it. And don't ask when. Yeah. And, and oh, by the way, the holidays are coming. Sorry. Matt, you nailed it. So... Obviously, I'm committed to Giant. A lot of shops have Giant and Trek or Giant and Cannondale and Giant and Felt and Specialized and Felt, whatever. I've obviously committed to Giant. Mm -hmm. And this is what goes back to what I told Giant day one was relationships. And I made a phone call to JT. And I said, JT, you know, where are we at? What's happening? I rely upon you and hopefully you can support me and continue to be good to me. If I don't have Giant, I'm out of business. I don't do Scott, I don't do Specialized, I don't do Trek, I don't do Cannondale. The only other brands that are really in my store, I do Electra, Beach Cruisers, Giant doesn't really do Beach Cruisers. I do Fit and Harl BMX, Giant doesn't do any of those. And I do Santa Cruz and Ibis. Ibis is a very boutique, great brand, sell quite a few bikes where we can get them. And Santa Cruz are a big player, and that's it. That's all I sell. Right. Obviously, e bikes separate. JT told me, we got your back. I talked to a lady in credit, and she goes, Mike, you do what you do, we got your back. So... Without going into further, those guys, they've had me through thick and thin. From the bad in the 2008, 2010 period to the good during COVID and things definitely changed. Um, we worked harder than ever, ever, ever. I don't have any hair, I'm gray. And I gained 20 pounds so I could ride my bike. 90% of the people that came into my store, they were fit and fast because they worked from home and they could ride their bikes. Well, I fixed them, so it's a good thing. But. When I'm, did you start to see a, a slowdown of like, okay, we're getting some bikes in. So it's, uh, <laughs> it came in, it would go. So this is where Mark, who's my sales rep, he would call me up and be, Mike, I'm sending you 60 Cypresses. Okay, now let's explain what a Cypress <laughs> is. I think I sell 10 a year. I'm like, 60 Cypresses? Take them. Well, I got nothing else to sell. And we sold Cypresses every single day. Really? It didn't matter. We People made just it work. needed a bike. They needed, and they were, they're good bikes, but it's just what we don't, it's not our go-to. Right. We want talons, we want stances, we want escapes, but we sold Cypresses. Mark calls me, Mike, and I'm ordering bikes in my back order. I got 50 pages. If they would have shipped all those bikes in one day, I'd be out of business. We ordered, but <laughs> I was just, I was putting in the work. I'm looking at this daily, nightly. I'm communicating. And Mark calls me up. You're getting two pallets of Talon mediums. Okay. Jeff would sell seven in one day. We'd take it. We could sell. We'd have them sold before they came off the trucks. People are coming in buying. It's In-N-Out Burger at Fullerton Bikes and Buena Park Bikes and at every bike shop in Southern California. You just got to build them, put them out there, they're gone. We're all working. And now some bike shops have more bikes than others and specialize in track and different things in different areas. But when you work with Giant, you're working with the single largest bicycle company in the world. 
and they control a lot of stuff vertically. They make a lot of their own parts. Uh, they've got amazing relationships with Shimano and SRAM. So I think Giant overall did a fairly good job of getting bikes. And I think every bike company did the best they could do. Shimano grew 47%. They produced 47% more product. By the end of 2021, they would have produced in the year of 2019. 47% more and they fell short like you cannot believe. How do they fix that? They can't. We're going to build multi-million dollar warehouses and machinery. It takes time. Yeah. It's not Rome. It is Rome, excuse me. So, yeah, so Giant and Specialized and Trek and all these guys are all in the same boat and they're doing everything they can and they're fighting with the suppliers. So now you've got a company like Giant and Trek and Santa Cruz and Cannondale and you name it. They got products and they're waiting for a tire because... Maxes can't supply them with tires. So what are they going to do? Or was it sitting off of the coast right Who here? Who knows? Right? But, so now they're putting on whatever tire. They're getting a V-tire. They're getting a Schwabi. They're getting a Kenda. Who knows? Now the bike spec has changed because they can't get parts. They got all this money invested in bikes that we want. <laughs> then we got the we got the cruise line. We got the container. There was a time when companies didn't have any cardboard in, in the Orient. Right. No cardboard. They couldn't put bikes in the box. They didn't have any cardboard. Because <laughs> they couldn't get the cardboard from the containers because the containers on the ocean. I mean... It's just, it's nonstop. It's amazing what goes into just getting a bike. I've learned so much, and I hopefully a lot of my consumers ask because we really try to educate them. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just, I mean, nothing against our, our customers. They're all great. But, oh, you don't have that. Can you just order it? I, I, I chuckle. Like, we have it on order. It's on a back order. I guarantee you it is. And once it gets here, we'll call you. You know, yeah. and then we start getting the calls. When are we going to get a bike? When's it coming? You know, and, and we had so many special orders, with, and we still do, but we're getting through them, and I've been very, I think, you know, on the forefront with my team, like guys, ladies, we promise we have a great system. We got a gargantuan software system that runs our business. We have Cindy, myself, Jeff, Alex, and Quentin, and Dave that all work together as a team. And we notify you, we've got to first place it. We will call you when your bike comes in. And I think we've done pretty well with that, Matt. It's not been easy. But one thing that we did, and I mandated this to my team, is I said, look, guys, we got to win the customer over because we're looking for bikes. They're all looking and they're calling them. we got to put them at rest. That's our job. Tell you what, I know you want that giant trance and we don't know when we're going to get one. But if you give me a $50 or $100 refundable at any given time guarantee, your name will be on a bike. When that bike comes, like all those bikes lined up right now with those yellow stickers, they're all pre-ordered. Some were ordered last week, some were ordered three or four months ago. You got the bike. When the bike comes in, if you don't want it, I'll give your money back. I don't care. We were able to wrap up the special orders like nobody's business because we gave the customer a peace of mind that they're gonna get a bike sooner or later. And we'd graciously ask, please don't call us, please don't tweet us. We promise we'll call you, but give us you know, six, eight weeks, you get a little concerned, please give us a follow up, we'll look into it and see. Because the, the, the dates were changing from the manufacturer. Right, yeah. Because they weren't getting pedals in Taiwan, they weren't getting spokes, they weren't getting bought. So we couldn't control that. And we saw things shift back and we saw companies trying to figure out how to run their software with that many back orders and that big of forecasting and working with, so that the it's a snowball, it's a rock in the lake, the puddle, it just, it's been crazy. So we've been able to get a lot of bikes and sell a lot of bikes and make a lot of friends and a lot of customers due to the way we chose to run our business during COVID. And I had this conversation today with, I had a Zoom meeting this morning and I'm, I fear, and I, I, it's a big issue that needs to be addressed. And I think this goes for a lot of businesses, whether you're a bike shop or you're, or you're 
it's all on how we perceive our customers, Matt. Oh. And when I have a customer call me from Seattle, Washington, because she called asking for a Talon or a Fathom, a $1,600 bike, and we're like, yeah, you know, she needed three bikes and we had two out of three, but we gave her the time to educate her on what we have and why we don't have it, but what we can do and we get it and blah, blah, blah. She drove from Washington to see Jeff and Ricardo and my guys to get a bike. Washington, it's 1,100 miles for a $1,400 bike. Now what this lady did, and it, it, like remember that moment, like when was that like that light moment you talk, you use that word a lot? She used it with me and it went on. She goes, Mike, I've called 40 bike shops and here's what I get. Good luck, haha, we don't have the bike, click. Nope, we're not gonna get it, good luck, we don't have it, click, 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 click. She, sell, she told us, and she was a 50 year old lady, she's not making this up. She's got a list, I saw it. This bike shop, not professional. This bike shop, okay. This bike shop, never again. No, 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 rude, miserable, ugly, angry, angry, you know. And I get it, because bike shops are tired, we're tired, and it says, but we have a chance to build a customer, and communication and knowledge is everything. Communicate to the customer. You know, lady, I apologize. We don't have that bike right now. And here's why. Give them a quick story. You know, COVID's drained the bike shop industry. You go to the grocery store, you buy a gallon of milk a week, and the manager says, hey, we're going to be out of milk for the next six weeks. You got to buy six gallons today. That's us. We have to buy six bikes. We're out. We don't want to get more. So we can help get you that bike and offer them a solution to their, to their problem and let them feel good. Well, they accept it or not. That's up to them. But if you treat that customer well, we have an opportunity to make a new friend. I mean, look at you and I doing a podcast because I treated you well with your son when you came to our shop. Our relationship is different today than it was pre-COVID because I treated you and your son right. Sure. Your son comes in, I'm like, you got a haircut, look good. You know, we've built that relationship. So us as retailers, whether it's a bike shop, camera shop, computer shop, skateboard shop, surf shop, clothing shop, yoga shop, I don't care. We win. Screw Amazon. You know, let Jeff Bezos do his own thing. I don't care. Right. And we're going to lose to Amazon every single day, but we're not because... COVID proved people want to get outside, they want to shop, they want to touch, they want to feel. Yeah, they're going to buy off Amazon and they're going to look for the deal. I get it. But there's no way you could tell me that all these small retail businesses that have been successful, people just stumble upon them. They're out for a reason. They like it. You know what I mean? Why did Jeff Benzo buy Amazon? Or excuse me, why did he buy Whole Foods? Whole Foods is retail. You go into Whole Foods, you shop, you smell. It's an experience. He bought that to learn, in my opinion, on how to be more successful. I mean, that guy can do whatever the hell he wants. Right. But when we, when we look at it, you know, I mean, and he's driven, obviously, and his company's driven, and Amazon's driven. But he bought that organization, obviously, to increase his wealth, but to learn on the patterns of the consumer and what retail means and touching brick and mortar. Jeff Bezos doesn't want a Fullerton Bikes or Fullerton Camera or Home Depot or I don't believe, you know, maybe he does. I don't know, but... He knows retail, and people want retail. Not everybody wants to sit at home and order off the computer. No, they want to put their hands on stuff. They we want know, to feel it. We know when those mistakes happen, it's painful. Yeah. You know. Is there something in this 18-month period that's made you even more in love with the bike shop? Yes and no. I mean... It, it's been it's been stressing on me as a human, you know, and it's it's... It sometimes just makes me like, you gotta be kidding me. Here we go. But then you always have to turn around and put yourself back in place. And I always remind myself, like, I'm selling a bike. I'm selling freedom, happiness, escape. I'm selling what I've loved my entire life. And I have an employee who has really motivated me. A couple of my employees have. 
Um, he's re- I watched him during COVID reunite his love for the bicycle and it brings tears to my eyes. The dude's riding. It's part of his life and I love riding with him. But I see that in him. I see that spark of his love for the bicycle. I see his Instagram. I just see a different person in him. But he loves the bike again. And that was through COVID. He got himself healthy. He got on some different medication. He had some issues. And now he can do it. And he's doing it. So like, I always remind myself of that. What That's a moment that what I watched happen there, I will take with me to my grave for the rest of my life. It's, it's a proud moment for me. Because he loves the bike. He's always loved the bike as a bike, but he loves it now as a rider. And that's awesome. That is awesome. Wow. Mission accomplished. Like, Chuck next if you know what I'm saying so yeah. so like when I'm frustrated and I'm upset I have to take a step back and I have to think about my life and I think about our business and what the bike is to me and my family and how it's enabled me to send my kid through college and pay my guys a salary and give them insurance and commissions and bonuses and you know I've seen everything happen you know and I look at that as thank you Jesus you where's know the I mean? bike in 10 years Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, it's still here. E-bike will be a force to reckon with, number one. What I like, and I've, I, I, I think I've kind of nailed it, and I'm completely wrong. So <laughs> Nailed it or you're wrong? It's, it's, it's an oxymoron, jumbo <laughs> shrimp, right? So let's do this. I grew up in the 80s. I had three choices, right? Like bike, soccer, or like a musician type thing, right? I chose the bike. So what do I pass on to my family? The bike, right? Because it's what I know. If you're a football guy and you grew up playing football in the 80s, what does your son do? He plays football. He plays basketball, whatever, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we pass that on. And I saw that through BMX. I saw those guys that I raced with and I rode with doing it with their family like I did. Now, obviously, it falls off like everything in life. The pie breaks apart. Johnny gets married, Johnny becomes a cop, Johnny does this, whatever, he falls off the bike. But a certain part of him still stays, and I see that. A lot of these dads that came to our shop, their kids are all, some of their kids, a small percentage of them are still riding bikes. So let's use my son as an example. What's he gonna push on to his, his, his family? Bike, amen. If you look at cycling right now, at the professional level in the world tour, look at bikes, USA, America, is a great country, and we have some amazing cyclists. Christopher Blevins, Kate Courtney, we got some Connor Fields, BMX gold medals. We have a pretty deep pool. 15 years past, it wasn't before Lance Armstrong, America was, it sucked at cycling. Like, outside of BMX, we were not competitive. We had a mountain bike growth, but Europe, Belgium, that market owns it. Why do we have good cyclists now? Because of Christopher Blevins, who's 14th place, highest cross-country finish in the Olympics ever, I believe, as American, young kid, he grew up during Lance Armstrong. His dad was a Lance Armstrong fan. So we have a deep pool of talent because 20 years ago, it was a Lance Armstrong show, right? He was cycling. Seven years of Lance Armstrong. Good or bad, he put cycling on the map. Sure. Trek became a powerhouse because of Lance Armstrong. Oh. Yeah. I mean, yellow bracelets, Lance Armstrong. It Everybody doesn't matter. had those things, yeah. Amen. So if you're a cyclist, you gave your kid a cyclist because you love Lance. So I'm seeing that. All these famous, cro- so that's good for biking. That's, that's, that's healthy. 
Dude, I went to Over the Hump last night. Local Orange County mountain bike scene. Forget the COVID thing. They set a record, dude. 707 entries on a Tuesday night at 90 degrees racing mountain bikes. It was Disneyland, bro. Thank you, Matt. Over the Hump. Orange County mountain bike is alive and kicking. I couldn't believe it. I had tears in my eyes. God, that's a lot of bodies on a Tuesday. Unbelievable. Cycling is alive. So, and the youth, there's a program called NICA. NICA has created international scholastic program where high school kids are racing mountain bikes. That class, unbelievable. Huge, 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 huge. Kids are racing mountain bikes because the dad that was born in the 80s was the BMX. It's all, it's all this right, right here, cynical. Rosary High School, they've got a riding team. Yes, Rosary. Uh, Adam Fuller, Adam, my boy Adam runs it. There's, yeah. It's huge. But anyway... But could you imagine when we were in high school, high school girls riding mountain bikes on BMX? Wouldn't thought of it, Matt. No. Didn't exist. But it's changed. It's awesome. Everybody's on a bike. So that's positive. So to answer your question, you know, 10 years from now, these kids, these Christopher Blevins and Connor Fields and all these amazing cyclists that America has, they are going to pass that on to their kids. And we have this boom of bicycles right now where all these people are riding bikes, they're having fun, they're coming back in. Cycling's a part of my life. Over the hump, 770 riders. There's an event in San Diego, it's called the Belgium Waffle Ride, okay? It's combination dirt and gravel. It's the type of riding we do. You ready for this? It's 130 miles. Ready for this? About 11 to 14,000 feet of vertical climbing you ride on the bike. Oh. Guess how many dumb people showed up to do it? 3,500 people. At 150 bucks a head. And it was 100 degrees. 100 degrees. The last part of that ride is a five mile climb at 17%. What? You can't drive up that hill, dude. It was 3,500 people. And guess what? They can't wait to go back and do it again. Oh, my God. Orange County, Hardman, Mike Russell and his crew. Guess what? That event is already sold out. It's in October. 300 maximum employ- people. 80 miles from here to freaking like Oakley and back gravel street. It's alive. Commuters, e-likes, up and down the street all day long. I'm working with the city of Fullerton on, on trail etiquette and how can we make it better, the infrastructure, and you're seeing organizations, bike for people, bike for Fullerton, Fullerton bike. There's so much going on that's geared about bicycle safety. And you know, the, a guy made a post, that unfortunately it's gonna happen. Somebody got hit by a car, it's like, it's not a bicycle accident when somebody dies in a car. It's more than an accident, guys. We lost a life, you know. It's unfortunate. Be attention. Pay attention. Be prepared. Understand it because, unfortunately, you know, it's a life that was lost due to negligence by a driver. Right. You know, get off your cell phone. I get it, you know. But City of Fullerton wants to create a better infrastructure. We see South Orange County, the infrastructure for cycling is there. We see e-bikes, commuters, you know, and with this global warming stuff and e-cars being more popular, I guarantee you Elon's going to have an e-bike, dude, in a matter of time, you know. Sure. <laughs> It'll be exotic, you know, <laughs> but why not? You know, he can make a battery. The guy's a genius. But that's what it's going to take to continue this growth of bicycles. And then a guy like Elon or a company like Toyota, they have power. Giants, nobody to, the, to you know, you talk about Congress and Giant and Specialized. Those guys don't even matter. No, right? they're specs. Unfortunately. Yeah. But you get a guy like Elon, you get a guy like Toyota, you get these guys start doing e-bikes and making stuff, electric charge, and you can ride this and ride that. Things are going to change, you know, because it makes sense. There's no, and then this whole infrastructure of these neighborhoods, you know, take like Portland, Oregon, and some of the stuff you're seeing built in Anaheim. It's like, 
you kind of work from home now because that works in COVID. It works. You're a mm-hmm. photographer. You, mean, right. you can do stuff from home. Yep. Um, you don't need to go to the office. You can email it and download it and stuff. So you work from home. You don't need a car to go down the street and get a burger because they built this whole food court center right on e-bike. You can start your car and drive 60 feet. No. Hop on your e-bike. Hop on a bicycle. Greener. Doesn't cost gas. Emission. There's so much. Parking's easier. Parking's easier. <laughs> it's healthier. It's fitness. You know, it, it doesn't cost as much. I mean, somebody made a funny meme or something like bikes are the, end, the, the kiss of death because they're cheap. They're not going to spend as much money. There's no gas. The roads will get destroyed. <laughs> it's better for the air. It's better for the future. Like, they're not going to spend money on earth development and global warming and blah, 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 blah. blah. And, uh, you know, I mean, anyway, that's, I, I'm going, I'm going on a tangent. Yeah, but, but that's good. You know, it's reality. So in 10 years, you know, um, you know, God forbid something tragic happened. I mean, the cities, we the people need to speak to our spokesperson. I'm working with the city of Fullerton and working with a local guy here to make more trails. And we have to take a forefront and be educational and, and, and go to these council meetings. And, you know, we had a scenario here. We have the Fullerton Loop. It's a great place. And there's a gentleman and he was building some jumps and that's all good, but it was habitated and it's liability. And the city came to me and like, hey man, we don't want this guy to get in trouble, but can you, and I know the kid and I called him up and said, dude, you know, you got to stop. Here's why. He gets it. But I'm in front of the city like, look, he's not doing anything bad. He's just riding his bike. He's a kid, man. He's 20 years old. He loves the bike like I did. I get it, you know. Bikes aren't bad. I, I, I made a living. I've, you know, I put my kids through college. My daughter's doing great. She's over in Hawaii. And my wife and I, we, we set her to college. And, you know, we support her. But I did it because this is my business. This is what I do for work. You know, I... I it, it, bikes turned out okay for me. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm not Elon Musk. And I don't want to be. You know, I'm just Mike. I own a bike shop and I live a nice life. I'm happy. And, you know, my dad, God bless him in heaven, man. I sure have made him proud because this is why he loved his life. And that's what it's about, dude. It's about just understanding it and, and being passionate about what you do. I don't call this a work. This is fun. Yeah, it sucks. I pay bills. I deal with fraudulent credit cards. I got to deal with, you know, there's all sorts of problems that take place. Nothing ever goes smooth, but it's what I do and it's all about the bicycle. And I'm just so grateful that, you know, this is how it turned out. Um, I would have never guessed when I bought this shop in 2003, Matt, that this business would do what this is. And I always tell customers and people like, I'm just having fun, man. I just show for work. Yeah, who cares? I'm the fourth largest jab dealer. I don't, that, that, that's, that's awesome. But I never thought that would happen. And I don't care. It's not really important. It's 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 a pat on my own back to me because I believed in myself and I did the competition thing inside me to be the best. Am I the best? Far from it. I don't think I'm the best bike shop. Not even close. But deep down on my side, I'm respected and people think I'm doing things right and they love me and they love what we do. So at the end of the day, that's that's my business. That's what I do. That's why I come here today. It's why I met you and your son and you know I'm on the trail and I'm taking photos over the hump. That's That's what I do. You do a great job. Thank you. But I'm just having fun, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, I can't appreciate enough of your time that you took today. I mean, you are a wonderful human being. You got a great place. You got great employees. God love you. Thank you. Do what you are doing. Thank you. Perfect. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked to be on your podcast. And, uh, you know, if this can make somebody else think about a small business, whether it's a yogurt shop, whether it's photography, whether it's whatever it is, you know, if it can help somebody out and just, you know, life is short. We've all learned that through COVID, unfortunately. People lost lives. People's life changed. 
good, bad, and different, you know, um, you got to just do it. You know, I know you're talking, you love small business, like you said, and that's why you wanted to talk to me. So if I can give any of your listeners or anybody out there just a word of advice, you know, do it while you can, because you never know what's going to happen and, and just live a good life. Uh, the In closing, something I learned, um, I laid to rest. Uh, one of my good friends passed away. It wasn't because of COVID. His name was Bernie Yu. Loved him to death. Uh, I cried hard when I lost this guy. But something I learned from him was his, the pastor said something that I think it's important to live life. It was Bernie, just live life. The nicest guy, full of energy. And what Bernie did, Matt, was he put his family, his faith, his country, he put that just first. And everything else just fell into place. And I think if we could all live life like that, we could all embrace that. Forget about all this other BS that's happening around this world. Focus on what's good. Who cares about anything else? You're going to wake up tomorrow. It's, it's going to be here, God for you know, God, God willing. And, and just live life and be grateful and set some goals. Don't be afraid to make the step. And come to work or come wake up every morning and put your shoes on better today than you did yesterday. And when you go to bed, tell yourself you did good and tomorrow's going to be even better. I think together we can all win and make this world a better place. Can't say it better, Mike. Love you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. I Perfect. appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you're, you. You're the man. God bless. Hey, amen. Thank right. you. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Mike Frenzy. If you enjoyed the episode, please hit the like button and subscribe as well. You can find Fullerton Bike and Buena Park Bicycles. You can find Mike, Fullerton, and the Buena Park Bike Shop on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as the YouTube channel.